This podcast is brought to you by Pragmatic Play, a leading game developer providing player favorites to the most successful brands across the industry. With an award-winning multi-product portfolio of slots, live casino, bingo, virtual sports, and more, Pragmatic Play is powering up new possibilities of play through one single API. Visit PragmaticPlay.com and discover your favorite every time. Let's, uh, let's get this thing going. Um, it's uh, great to have you back on the on the podcast. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, like always, I don't even know where to begin in this uh, conversation today, but uh, we have a wide range of uh, topics to cover. Yeah, what do cover. you say? We're going to riff it, yeah? So why don't we start on being on the life on the spectrum? <laughs> so Igor, first first question to you. Do you think you are on the spectrum? I'm absolutely on the spectrum. Okay, what 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 spectrum are you on? Um, several spectrums. So I'm I'm ab- absolutely certain. <laughs> we start on <laughs> Yeah, I'm absolutely certain um, that. So I have ADHD. Diagnosed ADHD. Okay. Right? So I'm diagnosed with ADHD, and my tests went through the roof to the point of probably I should be researched on that. I'm so forgetful and chaotic. But then, then you have the counter to that, which is absolute perfectionism and, and crazy attention to detail. So once I went down the, the rabbit hole of understanding my mind, understanding the synapse, understanding the, you know, um, I found out that, um, whereas I don't have, the, I don't have Asperger's, um, but there's autistic traits um, which generally go because you have to overcompensate for ADD. So, so they go in pairs. Yeah, yeah. They say that most people with ADHD also are on, this, uh, on the autism spectrum, I think. Yeah, uh, it is. It, I mean, it is one spectrum. Okay. Um, and now, what, what I really like about where we took neurosciences, um, Rather than the spectrum, you have neurotypicals um, and and neurodivergent, like that's sort of the class of people now. So yeah, um, yeah, they reclass it. They don't say ADD anymore. They, it's yeah. just ADHD, and, and yeah. even though ADD is kind of like hard to focus, but uh, without the hyper, <laughs> without the hyper. Yeah. But they, nowadays they only call it ADHD, and it's more. The face of like neurodivergent is more kind of the yes. I've, I've seen this movement because there's so many mixes of combinations. yeah. There's, there's so many ways to there's so many ways for for um, for uh, ultimately trauma to express itself um, in older age. Right. So obviously you have some just um, derived from trauma and what we go through, but uh, there are there's a lot of influence in how you are brought up. And there's always obviously the um, well nature versus nurture. So you start from from a neurodivergent brain. So you might fire off your neurons much faster than others. You might understand things uh, much faster than others. You get bored. You get restless. You have these kids flying up and down. I was, I was speaking to my um, uh, psychiatrist, a psychologist, um, because he wanted to at like age of 37 to put me on Ritalin. And, and Ritalin is ADHD medicine. Yeah. Right? So, and I'm I'm not really, I don't mind. <laughs> God knows, I don't mind 
<laughs> medications. Um, <laughs> you know, remembering my 20s. But, um, but anything that you take on a daily basis that, that messes with your focus, messes with your center, I, I, don't, I don't find it too appealing. So I'm cautious about that. So when he proposed to me that I take uh, Britain, and after we did all the tests, right? We did all the personality tests, and, and I had to click this. You listen to the sound, and you watch the dot on the computer, and you have to click the mouse when the sound comes on, not the dot. And, and, and it's really interesting to observe yourself. I start thinking about birds and bees and <laughs> whatever random stuff I need to think about, and I completely lose focus on the computer. I'm like, wow, yeah, I do have ADD. So you do all these tests and so on. And then he was like, yep, you're definitely on the spectrum. You're <laughs> well on the spectrum. Um, I recommend that we put you on Ritalin. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll try it. And I tried the first time. I went back to him and I said, mate, like, I might as well be at a rave party in my 20s. Huh? Like, I'm not taking this. I yeah. cannot take this. I'm like this for yeah. seven hours. Right. This is not something that appeals to me. He's like, how strange do you have such a response to that? And then he told me that kids, so we had this conversation, like, do you give this to children? And I was very, very, uh, very vo vocal about it. I think he took, he took offense a little bit, possibly. So, uh, hey, you know, we, we do give this to kids and you should see the cases I have. So he grounded me a bit and he said, you know, we have kids that are unable to function socially, like five, six-year-olds that are, um, they, they, they either get bullied or they, they are not good with their peers. They can't focus. The, basically, they're just a nightmare, impossible to deal with. And you put them on Ritalin and, you know, they do their homework and they're just, like, it calms them down. Yeah. So I, I found out that, for example, Ritalin for me speeds me up. And weirdly, um, I'd have a, I, I don't like weed. I don't, I don't like weed because of how it makes me feel. It's not my, uh, you know, some people chill out and that, it doesn't make me feel comfortable. Yeah. But occasionally socially I'll, I'll smoke and then I'll go home really weird, paranoid and high. Yeah. And, and as it, as it, as the THC um, um, dissipates, there's something left behind. I don't know what it is, some calmness. And there's a zone of about three, four, five hours where I'm not high anymore. Like I'm a little bit high. And all I want to do is clean my house, <laughs> sort out my emails, uh, <laughs> like, mate, mate. It's like the magical sound, it's the, 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 the Goldilocks sound. It, it yeah. was, it's such the a state of sound. flow, <laughs> like I'll be, I'll be buzzing. I'll jump out and do, and, and then I went back to him and I said, can I like, can I have, is there like a medical way that I can take without getting high? He was a, weirdly, uh, weirdly enough, you know, you have doctors, I love him to bits. Um, He's a very good doctor and he cares, but um, it's strange observing their predispositions. Oh, so he was, right. he was very, the weed is yeah. drugs, right? That's drugs. It's like, you, you know, I don't think that's the right approach. Yeah. I'm like, you're pushing speed on me. Like you, you're literally <laughs> yeah, pushing methamphetamine, uh, you know, methamphetamines on me. Yeah. Um, but you know, a, a plant is, is not good. So, so that was interesting to observe. Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm on the spectrum. Yeah. Um, but you, you learn to cope, cope with this. And, and, and the, uh, the, the interesting thing of people with ADHD is, um, you know, 
people who recreationally take um, MDMA or ecstasy. You know, mm -hmm. it's traditionally MDMA ecstasy is uh, recreationally a drug that makes people dance for 10 hours and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, unlimited energy and so on. Um, but most people with ADHD, they fall asleep. Right. It's like it's like the opposite effect. Right. And that's the point so, with Ritalin as well. Right. Is if a civilian would take Ritalin, they would uh, go to yeah. the rape party. Right. It's and like, and and if you have true. So if you have hyperactive um, attention deficit, it will calm you down. It will calm down your nervous system. Um, and I've experienced that many times. Like I'll, I'll, I'll in my 20s, I'll go to a rave. I'm friends with understand. I'll go to a rave halfway through a rave. I'll get really sleepy. I'll crash in my car for an hour, wake up really charged up and continue, <laughs> right? And you're like, how? I'm like, I don't know, but it feels amazing. Right? <laughs> so outside so, of any like tests that you have to fill in questions, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the better test to do, let's say, the more, uh, more fun uh, test, if you will. Is, uh, it was, I mean, it wasn't, it, it, was definitely not, it was definitely not a controlled test, that's for sure. But, uh, but yeah. Um, how do you call it? Um, uh, when you when you test something by by experiencing it, yeah? test of experience. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I think you yeah. learn to cope. Yeah. So so uh, the uh, so so I find it interesting to in a way where you know it's it's like these like letter combinations are trying to like kind of encompass uh, like a personality and whatnot, but. Uh, as we said before, there's like, so many like I variations like of this, so it's really hard to box someone in into uh, into like the traditional ADHD box or uh, the um, the autism box or whatever, because uh, there's so often there is um, uh, kind of synergies between the two or between other things uh, as well. Uh, and um, so in my case, uh, uh, as we spoke about before the the podcast here, uh, our mutual friend uh, Lassan here always. Uh, uh, he always jokes uh, about uh, me being on the autism spectrum, yeah, or like yeah, Asperger's spectrum. spectrum. He always jokes about it, because like, I, I will do something funny, and he's like, "Oh, that's such a like Asperger thing to do, or whatever." <laughs> uh, and I always say, "Last uh, one, one time I, um, I, uh, I was like, I googled like uh, Asperger's uh, like uh, symptoms or whatever, like what 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 like classifies you if you have Asperger's or whatever." And I went through these things one by one, and I'm like. Uh, no, this one not really, and this one maybe a bit, and, like, and then I went back to Lassen and I said to Lassen, um, Lassen, I've now studied uh, Asperger's, and I've come to the conclusion that I do not have uh, Asperger's, and then he just laughed at me. And he was like, that's and such an like, Asperger's that's, such, that's exactly what an Asperger's person would do. <laughs> and um, the moment that I realized that, uh, okay, maybe I might be on some form of spectrum, as well as uh, what he told you the other day, which is um, one time I went to... Uh, uh, to fly transatlantic uh, over to my sister in San Francisco. It's an 11-hour flight. <laughs> and, um, you know, on the monitor that you have uh, in front of you on the flight uh, seat, uh, you can either choose to watch series or to play games or whatever you want to do there, right? And they always have Trivial Pursuit, and I love Trivial Pursuit. I love to, like, like learn and to understand things. And so I started to play this game, and it's basically uh, 10 questions, and um, uh, you have four alternatives and uh, after the 10 questions are answered um, a high score appears and it's not just the high score of the that particular flight but it's like the all-time high score of this game and um, when I saw it I'm like I can beat that I can do that 
I can do that. And 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 I got into like the most like obsessed like trying to get on the high score thing. And I swear to God, you know, after after like five hours of playing this game over and over and over, like every time I would answer a question wrong, I would close the game and then restart it, go into it again and start from scratch because the only purpose of playing this game was to enter the high score. And that was the only thing that existed in my entire world. And after about five hours of playing this... Obsessive focus. Yeah, after after about five hours of playing this, I looked back a bit because I was sitting on the aisle and I'm like, if anyone is looking at this, that's what I'm doing with like, like, like sitting, you know, 10 centimeters from the screen because I need to read the question as fast as I can and then answer within, you know, one second. So I get more points. And every mm-hmm. time I answer the question wrong, I'm like exiting the game, waiting for the screen to load so I yeah. can enter the game again the and, and, and repetitive for hours and hours. I was thinking if anyone is looking at this. Yeah they're going to think I am absolutely, totally crazy. And that's when it dawned upon me that maybe Lassen has a point in what you're saying. <laughs> like, look at this autistic boy over there having fun with the screen. Amazing. Bless him. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, no, I've heard the story. It killed me. It killed me, it killed me that... Uh, I don't know. I don't know if uh, I understood him well, but then you had to... You didn't manage on the first leg of the flight. Mm. And then on the way back, to make sure you're on the same airline, that you're playing the same game, you changed your flight so you can continue playing the same game on the way back, yeah? Yeah, because I wanted to be on the fucking high score. <laughs> and, and I played the first leg over, I played five hours, like I, I gave up at some point. Mm. And, um, you know, after hours and hours and hours, I was thinking, on the way back, I was thinking, if I continue playing, like... You know, you you get into uh, the questions start repeating themselves mm. after after you know ten or fifteen hours, and um, then you can react on on impulse. Is reading the first half of you'll the know question, uh, and you'll know what the question is, and you know what the so answer is. Beggars. Look at you uh, analyzing, <laughs> analyzing <laughs> protocols right. of successful achievement. But but you know, on the third, so on the second leg, I didn't manage to get on the high score because there are other people on the spectrum who are. The same, doing the same as me um, but then you know a couple of months later it was time to travel transatlantic again and I wasn't going to leave anything to chance I came I slept well the day before I ate a good breakfast loaded your electrolytes I loaded myself up with electrolytes I splashed some water in my face slapped myself <laughs> a bit I got in the zone and lo and behold my friends your dear podcast host managed to get himself on the high score. I have a picture of it. I, I celebrated a little bit on the plane for myself. Should frame it somewhere here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I absolutely should. Um, and uh, I managed to put myself on the high score, my friend. And that was one of the uh, one of the highlights of that year. Yeah, yeah, there, yes. you go, there you go. Put it there. Put it there, buddy. Put so it next, there. next time, next time you go on the on the on the. Uh, on the airplane, it's like, a, I don't know what the name of this Trivial Pursuit is, but it, it's like, it's on a lot of the transatlantic flights. It's like a blue background and you get these questions up and then I'm going to look for the, the one time, with Pierre on All it. time high okay. score, you see. Yeah, yeah okay. I'm um, just going to look for the yeah. one with Pierre. And then it resets from time to time. But if you get, if you get that thing, 3,300 points, guys, that's the, that's the score to beat. Good luck. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so, so uh, is this... Um, do you think, if you look at it from a professional point of view, mm-hmm. do you think um, 
the your neurodiversity, let's say, is the uh, something that overall is good for your professional career, or is it something that holds you back? Mm. Wow, that's a you just went for the jugular, eh? Um, I think it allowed um, it allowed professional growth that was not uh, planned or or at least in my case my type of neurodivergence it allowed um, deep focus in our industry it allowed, it allowed success and knowledge that wasn't really planned so yes it was extremely helpful professionally it came at a cost it came at a massive cost because as as much as it, it's a driving force obsession um it it does put you in a passenger seat of your own life right if we go back into 20s and 30s um so much that happened and i look back and I go how did it even happen right i mean i i, I landed in malta as a kid with a backpack with 20 30 euros on it you know fresh off of of you know it was Kosovo war and yep. and all that and uh, and I can't tell you how I went from washing dishes to owning casinos. Like the trajectory is there. Right. It wasn't planned in any way possible. So from that perspective, yes. But on the on the flip side of that coin, um, do you learn as much as as you would learn if you had structured progressive growth on uh, within a certain focus? area of your life i want to do this this is these are the reasons why i want to do them this is how i'm going to approach doing them and this is what i'm going to achieve um no you know i had to wake up um in my mid-30s and look at the relationships that have suffered in the process so complete oblivion to to a lot of good people that pass me by you know and um it it, it takes a while to kind of lift your head. Imagine you're like swimming, you know, you're like Nila Juice and you're just swimming from, you know, Sicily to Malta or something. And you're completely in the zone. As you do. Yeah, yeah. As, as you yeah. do, you know, and, and you're completely submerged. And at some point in time, you, you lift your head and you, you need to get your bearings to see where you're at. Kind of felt like that. So, so there was a, a moment of, of, of learning and reevaluation to pick up massive amount of lessons and reevaluate past behavior reevaluate the positive and the negative and then start proactive work on managing uh, the way you think the way you behave the way you are um so net positive for sure net positive but it comes with its own costs and difficulties yep. sure yeah certainly what i would say I, i'd just like to say this um i, I said it so, to a friend of mine who's very similar to me we keep com compare, comparing um, ourselves to each other and he just had a son and his son is brilliant. He's like three years old and he's the smartest thing in the world. Um, two years old even. Um, and and one, one thing I told him, I said, mate, if he's anything like us, anything like us, now's the time. Like teach that kid meditation, calmness, kid teach him patience, discipline. like now's the yeah. time. Not the medication, man, right. behavioral sciences, wire his brain now. And we had this sort of epiphany. He looked at me and it was like, 
yeah <laughs> like yeah actually yes you know <laughs> that's one thing that uh, i really like about society today like we 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 opened our door toward neurodivergence as a very accepting concept and that allows for for application of right behavioral traits at a time when your brain and your neurons are forming because we're 90 percent habit we're habitual creatures um so so this is, it's a very positive movement that i see yeah in 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 that area because there's a huge amount of energy that that comes from that and, and um you know take uh, elon musk as an example on the um, autism spectrum um they say that some of the best entrepreneurs especially in the silicon valley era uh, are on the autism spectrum and there's a good reason for that because most startups in Silicon Valley fail. Mm. And um, the idea with the tech startups, the Silicon Valley tech startups, is you should pursue a monopoly. Right? That's the Peter Thiel uh, um, way of uh, starting a business. Peter Thiel is only interested in entering businesses where he can reach monopoly or oligopoly status. Think Facebook, you know, there yeah. is only a couple of social <clears throat> networks. Um, think uh, you know uber or spotify yeah. and so on um and so you know on the way there first of all you have to face the reality that uh, most likely you're going to fail and you have to face the reality that most people are not going to believe in you and you have to face the reality that most people are going to recommend you to take routes that are not going to spur you on to to play this very risky game where most likely you're going to fail uh, on the way to your monopoly. They'll make you doubt yourself. But but basically you should you should aspire more to um, mediocre like kind of path in your company and and uh, follow the stream, you know, so to say. Play so safe. Like, yeah. So so what I'm trying to say is like in 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 general society and, and whatever like we we go out we take social cues from others and uh, we learn to follow the stream, you know. We learn to adapt and to uh, kind of um, uh, to, to, to follow the stream and to fit in in, in this herd that we are in, right? Uh, but um, people on the Asperger spectrum or autism spectrum, that's what they lack. They don't understand social cues um, to, to some extent. And um, so a person like Elon Musk, when people tell him that uh, you're doing the wrong thing or like they they like he's part of a group that is uh, giving him other social cues, you shouldn't be like the way you are. You should like be like we are, so, uh, like. He just doesn't understand that, right? And he has a vision that he will follow no matter what people tell him. And uh, in his case, that is an asset because that will then bring him to that monopoly status if he is successful. Then at the end, do do you think it is? <clears throat> sorry, do you think it is the inability to take direction, or do you think? I'm sure it is part of it. Um, but how much of that is the obsessive behavior that falls into that? Where you you have a goal, yep. top 10, right? The, you know, the uh, high score. And you see that vision and you're able to decompose it. And also you're able to see the steps toward that vision. It logically makes sense, yep. right? Even how you approached your game and so on. It, it had a structure, logical structure of if then else mechanism of how to achieve that goal and no matter what it takes i'm going to proceed in that yeah. direction i think that's why 
Silicon Valley is filled, success stories of Silicon Valley are filled with people on the spectrum because um, I, I don't think they have, they have the capacity of, of getting distracted, no. um, which is a, a bit of an oxymoron uh, because okay. ADD is um, the, you know, the opposite of that. But it, it, yes and no in a way. You, mm. you're, it's, it's, not a, you know, it's not an attention deficit. It's, it's lack of attention regulation. Yeah, uh, have you have you read the? It's it came out recently now, but the uh, autobiography of Elon Musk. No, it's so interesting. Oh my god, like that book. Well, no, in a way, it it makes you feel a bit depressed actually reading the book of of Elon Musk because you you have this you know as entrepreneurs as we both are, and you know many people who are listening are hard workers and they run their own businesses mm -hmm. or they work really hardcore for a company. Um, at least that's what you think. And then you read Elon Musk's autobiography and you realize that like you are fucking nobody in comparison, like yeah. in, in, in like the amount of, of blood, sweat and tears that one human being can endure over a long period of time. You realize that there is many levels of, in this game, of, right? Of, of, of dedication, dedication and obsession. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh my God, man. Like that is like, I read it and I'm like, okay, the, 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 the vision I have of myself as like a hardworking entrepreneur and like feeling a bit sorry for myself because, mm. you know, you give up so much of your life and you work so hard. It is nothing compared to compared to, the, to, compared to Elon Musk, you know. And um, you know, he coined that uh, that phrase of like uh, ultra hardcore mode, you know. And like in in his case, it's so interesting because you learn kind of the background to how he became the way he was and how this manifests. And um, in his case, um, he's first of all he's born as a genius right like he started coding when he was yeah. very young and and uh, you know not like the other kids and bullied it, it starts from nature yeah like heavily bullied his father was and is um like just an absolutely terrible uh parent uh, tortured mm. uh, the kids and both uh, physically and uh, mentally uh, mostly mental mental torture towards the kids that uh, traumatized uh, them quite heavily um, but then he starts, you know, uh, X.com. Uh, that then became uh, they merged with PayPal and and, uh, mm -hmm. that and um, the first time Elon Musk ever went on vacation, that's when he got fired from PayPal as the CEO. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. So, <laughs> so, so, uh, so, so he goes on vacation for the first time ever in his life. Right. Uh, and, you know, people are telling him, Elon, you need to relax, you know, you need to go on vacation and like reset your mind, you know, otherwise you're going to burn out. And, and he's like, OK, all right, I'll go on vacation then, whatever. Elon. And, um, and he goes on vacation. I think it's, it was his honeymoon. Yeah, right? like, yeah, he goes on a honeymoon. And then second day at honeymoon, he gets the call that uh, the board has gone behind his back and they have decided that they need to change leadership. And, uh, you know, PTT and the guys, they have now decided that uh, Elon Musk needs to step aside from uh, from PayPal. That's the first experience of taking That's time like off. trauma, trauma yeah. on top of trauma. Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, I can't remember exactly the reason. But then, then he goes, you know, a couple of years later, he goes on vacation again for the second time. <laughs> second time <laughs> in his life. Time, yeah. He goes on vacation. And I can't remember what the cost was. But 
something similar happens to Elon Musk uh, where yeah. where something crashes uh, or he's about to be fired or like something goes terribly wrong basically and Elon Musk has to cancel his vacation again for the second time so after that he decides you know no vacation, more vacations no more yeah. vacations <laughs> that's it, that's no more vacations like only ultra hardcore well, <laughs> from ultra here hard. you know what I found really interesting because you mentioned like they before earlier when we were talking about neurodivergency I said it's 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 trauma manifest um, that's how I opened it up and and in my mind as, as we were speaking I said okay maybe I should clarify that but uh, I think it starts from nature but then for for neurodivergence to really shine through you have to be in an environment that that is also traumatic and that sort of puts these kind of building blocks of, of uh, crazy level of obsession and, and so yeah. on you know it's a mix yeah. right it's a yeah. na- na- nature, nature to some nature. extent and, and nurture to a, a second extent yeah have you seen that uh, there's um there's a documentary of uh there's like a, a person that is growing up you know he's all adult and then one day he um he watches the news on tv mm. and there's a person on the news that looks identical to him I, I, have you seen this? Like, no. It's 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 pretty incredible. I, I can't remember the name of it by heart. It's on Netflix. Um, and uh, he's like, what the fuck? Like this person, it's my twin. It's, it's like literally my twin. So he contacts the TV station, <clears throat> contacts this person, and it turns out, yes, they are twins. You know, both of them are adopted, right? Oh, so wow. So they are adopted into different families. And then they connect, you know, and, and they are now on TV because this becomes a story. And then... They compare their lives. And then... A third person uh, sees this uh, duo that have found each other, and he's like, "What the fuck? I, They're looking I exactly also like look like yeah. that, those two people." And it turns out they are triplets now that are oh, wow. all three adopted to three separate families. Okay, and then yeah. the story escalates because then they get together these uh, three triplets, and they are now found each other, and they are like discovering all the similarities they have in between them and. The things that they've done similar and so on. Hey, how's this called? Uh, I, I, we need to we need to look uh, look this up uh, on, uh, on on Netflix. Okay, Let's Netflix documentary. Oh, well, maybe not now, but like um, yeah, if you can find it, great. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. It's um, called the, the, the Three Identical Strangers. It's called Three Identical Strangers. So um, 1983, complete strangers accidentally discover that they are identical triplets, separated crazy. at birth. Okay, and that, but then it escalates. Then it escal- I'm not going to spoil the whole thing. No, don't. don't I'm not going to spoil the whole thing. But it, it turns out that's from birth. They've been part of an experiment. And, and what happens with um, when... if you have triplets and, and you put uh, them in three different circumstances, it's three yeah. different environments. One in a low class, uh, low income family, so one in a medium income family, and one in a high class family. What happens? What is nurture? What is nature? And um, what an experiment! And uh, the, uh, the the you know without spoiling it, whatever. But uh, part is nature, part is nurture. Yeah, that's what it comes up. But it, the so the uh, documentary goes, it goes, it gets weirder and weirder and weirder uh, and weirder as it goes along. As it goes So anyway, so we are obviously a iGaming focused podcast uh, here. So I, I think that. Well, yeah. actually, you know what? I also want to, like, while we're on these topics, um, uh, to talk about, you know, like in, in the case of ADHD, as like Ritalin mm. is the medicine to generally calm ADHD um, individuals uh, down and be able to get them to focus and, and, and so on. Mm-hmm. Recently, 
uh, last couple of years is now becoming kind of more and more emergent that uh, the use of uh, psychedelics is uh, is turning out to 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 be very beneficial for certain uh, c- certain uh, letter combinations as well, like PTSD, for example, yeah. is turning out that uh, psychedelics is a great treatment uh, for this. Uh, obviously, I know you're a good friends of um, our Alex. dear friend Alex, uh, <laughs> uh, who who uh, who is a big proponent of um, the the use of psychedelics, especially for um, non-creational use, uh, also potentially for recreational use uh, in his case. But uh, but um, what what do you think, uh, Igor? On that front, uh, psychedelics uh, in terms of uh, treating, like the future of psychedelics in 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 specifically uh, this field of, of treating trauma, um, and also you know related to the industry, people with gambling addiction, uh, could it also be uh, beneficial for uh, the treatment of gambling addiction, perhaps? Yeah. So as you were speaking, I, I started thinking about. Um psychedelics and where they came from and if, if you look at as far as I know uh, if you look at the source of m- medicine it were it came post World War two as an exploratory science science to treat mental um, some accidentally some as a byproduct but some directed to treat depression to treat um, certain mental states for example MDMA I think MDMA kicked off as a weight loss drug, if I remember right. But that that yeah. that, that could be I could be wrong. Yeah. Yep. But eventually. Yeah, yeah. They were experimenting with, uh, and they came up with that molecule. And yeah. So, but yeah. eventually, what they realized is, so they had, I, I know this for a fact. I can't remember how it started, but at some mm. point in time, they had clinically depressed people that have been, uh, let's say, beyond salvation, mm. and by applying MDMA to them on a daily basis, what they've done is they've rewired the brain. Yeah. So by spiking their serotonin levels, yeah. which serotonin is produced. I mean, most of this stuff, when we talk about psychedelics, um, like I'll, I'll, I'll digress to, have you ever gotten, have you ever hallucinated through breathing? Have you ever in, tried in, that? And what level of hallucination? Are we like talking I'm about talking an, a, a full-on psychedelic experience yeah, okay. through breathwork. No, I've never. So there are, there are. We'll, we'll touch on that. We'll touch on that because that's that's uh, something very exciting um, um, that I look into. But anyway, um, so most psychedelics started from trying to help people mentally, right? And in case of MDMA, um, there were people that were so clinically depressed that simply they couldn't remember what life was about. And they kept them on lithium and calming drugs, not to injure themselves and not to hurt themselves and so on. And when they introduced MDMA, MDMA into their uh, bio system, into their you know, um, uh, ecosystem, I guess, uh, um, what happened is they remembered how it feels to feel happy. And their brain literally um, triggered certain neural connections that that have been that that have been laying dormant. So the way that uh, I, I don't know if you know how your brain works in the simplest of terms, but uh, two two synapse uh, two neurons will connect into a synapse. Your sense of smell, your sense of memory, your 
um, how you react to things, uh, whether you react aggressively or passively and so on. A lot of your behavior is based on how your brain will fire off um, against a certain stimuli. And if, if you, that's why if you persist with a certain behavior, it becomes second nature. Because you simply react, your brain will fire off the same known synapses for that particular stimuli that it knows. That's why it's so hard to change a habit. You have to create a new pathway. And your brain will always want to go to its, to, to its original pathway and you have to force it by a conscious secondary choice to change that pathway. So in case of these people, they simply forgot how it feels to be happy. And through a long-term application of MDMA, they got them out of depression permanently. And obviously, because of psychedelics and for, for various uh, uh, economic reasons and, uh, and so on, um, those drugs became... Mm, Let's say, I want to say bastardized, the, the word isn't coming to me. But they, 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 escaped, they escaped the clinical setting yeah. uh, in the, uh, I suppose, in the, in well, the 70s, very 80s, well put. When, very well put. When, uh, when MDMA was uh, not an uh, illegal drug. They, they escaped the clinical setting and they reached the, the yeah. general public, let's say, and, and to the point where and then they were this became banned. a big, you know, it was impossible to not see. Yeah, but then it was illegal to clinically research on them. For a long time, it was illegal right. to do clinical research on LSD, on MDMA, and so on and so forth. And now we're coming right. full circle back to it. So people, so it basically, in, in the uh, when it was classified in the, like the Ronald Reagan era mm -hmm. in the 80s mm -hmm. as a class one drug, and this was the... Um, this is the, after he the, gave the, it to the, the US the war, soldiers. Yeah, war drugs. Like this was mm -hmm. the big uh, issue of the uh, the wife of Ronald Reagan. Like she championed this, uh, like, mm -hmm. yeah, no kind of drug use and so on. And, and um, and it was classified as a class one drug, which meant that they were not even allowed to study mm -hmm. the effects, mm -hmm. as you say. Yeah. So, so you just didn't, people didn't know what the, what the effects of the drug was, basically. You could just kind of like hear stories of people telling the... the uh, anecdotal hear, hear evidence, that's what I was trying to think of previously. You could, an, anecdotal evidence. <laughs> so, so, because before I was saying I was, I was finding out things through anecdotal evidence by trial and error. It's <laughs> right, anecdotal right. evidence. Very right. 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 uh, A lot, a lot. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people have tried it and they would find out what the effect was through yeah. their experience. Yeah, exactly. Right? Just yeah. their own experimentation yeah. and so on. Yeah. yeah. Um, going back to gambling, mm. um, and can it, can it solve any form of addiction? I believe it can. Because you have to look at the underlining, underlining reasons for addiction. So it's escapism. Me and you had this conversation multiple times. Like I've I've blown more money on mobile games than than gambling, right? Right. And what what, what is that for me? That's anti-anxiety. So it's a repetitive mechanism on my phone. I don't yeah. have to think about it too much, and it switches off my brain. And um, if if money isn't of any concern, then you end up buying those ninety-nine little dollar packages until you spend the house playing Clash yeah. of Clans. There's always an underlying reason for addiction, and um, you know, in case of gambling, of course, uh, there's the uh, sunk cost fallacy, which is very, very real. What, what uh, is that? Sunk cost fallacy. Sunk cost fallacy. I have invested so much into something already that it has to pay back now. Right. It's like chasing the dragon. Yeah, literally yeah. chasing the dragon, right? Um, but the the starting mechanism of escapism um, is underlined. It's produced by your environment in one way or another. And what psychedelics seem to be doing 
just in terms of gambling. You know, you can classify it as addiction as a whole. It's allowing people to experience life with more positive emotion in a controlled setting and more positive emotion makes them naturally want to spend more time in nature, more time being productive and so on. Because you can look at how your serotonin is naturally produced and what creates a dopamine hit. So you have cheap dopamine and not cheap, you know, cheap dopamine is your Facebook uh, scroll. Um, delayed gratification is your earned dopamine, you know. Um, and and what, what from little research that I've done, it seems to be the case that it's showing true clinical studies that allowing people to be in a setting where their biochemistry is, uh, let's say, more conducive to a happier life, their habits will naturally gravitate toward more productive and happier living outside of the influence of the drugs. So yeah, I think it can influence uh, gambling, uh, addiction gambling and right, other right. addictions. So, so, so I think essentially what they are doing in a clinical setting mm -hmm. is um, they don't just give the uh, drug to the subject and magically <laughs> they, the next day they change right this is uh, they they give lsd for example mm. them to uh, to 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 a DMT. trialist uh, or dmt or or mm. or mdma uh, and then they basically conduct a um uh, they basically they basically have a session while the person is uh, is feeling the effects mm -hmm. of the LSD, right? So, so they would have a conversation, or mm -hmm. they would uh, they would ask the subject to lay down, and then there is a psychologist in the room, mm -hmm. and uh, and they would then bring up the trauma mm -hmm. that uh, that uh, has caused uh, whatever they are dealing with. And if it's PTSD, they can just see the trauma. Mm -hmm. without the shame or without the negative emotion associated with it. are lowered, yeah. Yeah, and, and by seeing the trauma in front of them and being able to talk about it in a natural and as if it is a normal uh, thing, they can see it in front of them, they can break it down, they can, they can, they can start to deal with that trauma uh, mm -hmm. that they otherwise would not have been. Uh, because they build the coping mechanisms around the trauma, right? Yeah. In a, uh, like if you're, if you're sober, uh, you build coping mechanisms that makes it really difficult to get to the actual trauma because uh, you you build these neural pathways yeah. that uh, you get used to, right? Uh, and when you are used to kind of going around the trauma enough times, then it's very difficult to yeah. get to the trauma. You simply also. cope, yeah. Yeah, th th that's your way of living, and yeah. you you wouldn't even recognize why your behavior is the way it is. Right, right, right. So it's basically so 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 what they do is not just uh, give the uh, the LSD to the subject and like magically things happen, but it's uh, basically the uh, the LSD in in combination with uh, therapy mm -hmm. that then creates the magic. Yeah, say. And and don't underestimate the dosage. So so when we think of uh, um, drugs. We think of, you know, children of the children of the flowers, the sixties, the summer of love, and all that. Mm -hmm. And we think of a lot of, you know, um, festivals and and loose morals and all of that. There's an image portrayed, yeah. um, where dosage was, you know, controlled by general society and some mad scientists trying to figure out, you know, how to make people happy. Whereas here you have a controlled setting um, and 
as much as you know, maybe somebody would, someone would have uh, some acid trip in. I want to say Glastonbury, but not Glastonbury. America's in the 60s, right? Yeah. yeah. And I would go off on a tangent for nine hours and have this revelation yeah. Wood, experience. Woodstock. Woodstock, thank you. Right. Um, have this revelationary experience. Um, in a clinical setting, you'd have some form of microdose. Your your brain does light up. So I don't know if you've seen the studies. Like they do an MRI uh, on DMT and on LSD, and it's just like a Christmas tree. It's just yeah. every single neuron is lit up that, that is generally dormant. And they'll, they'll give a very small dose, which allows them, uh, allows the patients a sense of agency and sanity and awareness. So they can process their feelings and can process their thoughts and process their um, realizations um, while keeping agency. Whereas, you know, some casual doses would yeah. not do yeah, that. Yeah. 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 I think, I think it was like, um, it could have been Graham Hancock or someone who's, who gave a really good analogy. He gave a, a really great analogy and how you can visualize this. So it's basically uh, on the, uh, while you're on this trip, it is basically like you get the book of your life in front of you mm. without any filters. Mm. Uh, so without your ego trying to glorify your life or mm. to make you into the hero or to justify the actions for what they are. You basically get the book of your life in front of you as the life your life is. Mm. This is this is this is, uh, this is what you've done. This is who you are, essentially. And you get an opportunity to read that book and to understand it from almost from the from a super yourself. ego perspective. Do you know the concept of <clears throat> the id, the ego, and the super ego? Uh, very very little. <laughs> so F Freud Freud coined this. Mm. Uh, so it's uh, uh, of course when you look at the psychology, you have um, Gestalt and you have you have different um, different parts of psychology. So so Freudian. Uh, approach to psychology is to classify the mind as the id, the ego, and the superego. So the id is the child within. Um, it's quite literally the, the trauma of the childhood. And not all of us went through a traumatic childhood, but quite a lot, you know, there's, there's a lot of um, shades of trauma, yeah? Yeah. Um, so the id is the child within. It's, it's the purest form of you, it's the most scared and most, uh, the biggest zest for life. The ego is the uh, conscious protective entity. So that is your coping mechanisms that come through. In a very healthy upbringing, you don't have too many coping mechanisms and you have a healthy balanced ego. In an unhealthy upbringing, um, you know, uh, an unhealthy ego comes to surface. <laughs> my friends used to call me eager with an ego yeah eager with an ego no I shit you not um, so, so I, I, had, I had to like live up to my nickname um, and then you have the super ego right super ego is the observant eye when you observe your behavior right the 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 Oh, I'll tell you something in a bit. ADD. Flying off, man. Um, so, so when you observe your behavior with an analytical eye, that's the role of the superego. And it observes how you behave in response to your stimuli. Now, some people don't have that developed. Some people do. Once you start developing superego, it's easier. Like you have a tool to analyze yourself better. It's kind of like you see yourself from an outside perspective. Yeah. And you so, can analyze your own behavior. Yeah, so Freud calls that the superego, super right? Okay. And mm -hmm. and if we're talking about psychedelics, that's what they 
they, they, that's why the people say uh, I, I, I remove myself from my identity or it kills the ego. It doesn't yeah. kill the ego. It allows you to analyze your life without the, the presence of, 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 of an ego. Uh, what, what I wanted to digress to, and it's not a digression, there was an amazing, I don't know where I read it, but an amazing concept that, um, that we are not our thoughts. Okay? Um, I'm going to bastardize it, damn it. Um, I, I have to memorize this because it was too good. So, so I'm going to try to pay homage to it, and then later I'll find it for you, okay? Just in yep. case I don't do the right job. When you think of a thought, right, you are not the thought. You are observing a thought passing you by. So if you are not the thought, which is what makes you operate in this world, what are you? Because a thought cannot ob observe itself. Right. So what are you if you are observing your, or your own thinking process? Are you an <laughs> entity beyond? Are you the meta self? <laughs> there was a guy, I have to find where I found this, yeah. but it's an incredible concept of, you know, you, I think therefore I am. No. But are you? No. Yeah. Uh, you observe a thought, therefore you are. Right? What thinks and what observes the thinking. Yeah. And and I, I go back to the Freudian, you know, um, ego and superego. But then from a, like a metaphysical perspective, it's really stumped me. Um, I don't know. May, maybe it was Sam or somebody. It's Sam Harris. Uh, it, it, it had to be Sam Harris. It, it right? has to be Sam Harris because uh, this is very, he's very based in the mindfulness. And mm. in his, um, by the way, like any, anyone who is keen to do meditation, uh, his um, mindfulness app is, uh, is great called uh, Waking Up. Uh, mm. And it's like uh, you can do the daily 10 minute meditation. And then in the guided meditation, that is very much at the center of this, right? You should watch the thoughts passing by. Mm -hmm. And if you see the thoughts passing by, it's okay. You know, just, then you let them go and you should observe them. And you should also think from where, like, where are you? Are you where are you the, thinking from? Yeah. yeah. Are you the thing that is between front your ears? Lobe, yeah. yeah. Front, yeah. And so so, so he, it's very much to recognize but, and connect with But that. apply a metaphysical concept yeah. to that. Because if you think that your thoughts are a sense of awareness and you are processing your thoughts, then you are awareness of your thoughts. Like, what are you? Right? Are you the observant eye? Are you the what acts? Right? And from a metaphysical perspective, it threw, it threw me into a tailspin. Like, I literally sat, I had to meditate on it. Okay, what am I? <laughs> what am I? Give me a sign. Yeah? It's very, very good. Did you, very did you come up with an answer? No, mate. <laughs> no, no. I just um, I came up. You're with a monkey. Fact. No, no, I came up with the fact. You're just that, a basic monkey. But, but no, no, I am. I am I'm definitely <laughs> reduced to a basic monkey. You see me outside of a podcast table. Um, no, I mean, I, I've done ayahuasca right enough times and so on, and I had these uh, incredible revelations um, where, you know, not to not to go into I mean, you know the story and it goes on for an hour or two, but um, I was absolutely certain that we are thousands of years old and that we are one with the universe and we're just universe experiencing itself. And I, I don't know how to, I, if, if nobody went down that rabbit hole and, you know, by no means, um, I say they should or shouldn't. Um, if you have gone down that rabbit hole, um, the, the feeling that you get on something like ayahuasca or DMT or like these ceremonies, um, you know, I, I've done it in Peru. I've done it in in the jungle with, with like no Wi-Fi, no electricity. I was living with with the natives for a while. Um, it, you know, when we say uh, I've had an experience, 
and that experience like is here yeah. the best way i can describe it it's not a thought it is somehow a revelation of absolute truth of knowledge as if i know it's today's you know now is daylight or now is night time it just is yeah you know i'm sitting down or like it's just native understanding of how things are i've had an understanding that that this is just a vessel and that we're just the universe experiencing itself, like some form of infinity. And then when this struck me completely sober, not on ayahuasca, on some random morning, watching some random podcast, probably Sam Harris, yeah. <laughs> I, I went down that rabbit hole and, and uh, yeah, it amused me. The, the thought process amused me. Do you, do you feel that do you feel like ayahuasca is this kind of like a, a, a temporary revelation and you get this like big epiphany and then, but then at the end of the day, you just go back to your normal life? You do, you do. You do go back to your normal life, but that's lack of discipline. I'm very, I'm, I'm very saddened by that. You, you can see my, my energy changes when I think of that. I'm very disappointed. But not just the year. I'm saying this, like in general. No, in general, because because you need you need persistence in anything. You need persistence, right? And persistence is discipline. It is the you know teaching your brain not to think this, not this synapse, that synapse. I will tell you which synapse to fire. And and you know if 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 the right tools are implemented in a child early on then they will be they will have easier control of their own mind and their mind will not control them they will control their mind and in case of ayahuasca it gives you a shortcut i i can tell you i've done it a few times and i i i stopped doing it once i've reached the end it was quite literally even the shaman told me yeah. like this you reached enlightenment yeah, yeah no no shaman <laughs> told me like people do this for 40 years to experience what you experienced oh, well. i've turned into well. a, a golden statue of some sort seven foot tall and i knew my my spirit was seven feet tall huge huge i'm mus muscular like I, I wanted to shake people away going are you seeing me <laughs> right um there was a blinding light uh, I, like i'm gonna bastardize the, the story deserves more respect than what i'm about to tell tell, tell tell the story tell the story oh, it, takes, it's, uh, very it takes an hour and a half month <laughs> <laughs> to properly do that no man um but um yeah so the setting is peru it's a peruvian jungle um, um, there's a small amber light, there's a select 10 to 12 people, um, uh, this shaman that uh, ended up, um, so, so shamanic line is uh, familial, right? So, so you inherit in, in Incan tribes, Sham, uh, you have the shamanic line, so mother to, to son or to daughter and so on. And he betrayed his tribe because he decided to become a psychiatrist in um, the main city uh, starts with an L, and I want to say Limassol, Lima? but Lima, thank you. I kept <laughs> Limassol kept playing Lima in my Sol. head. Right? This is another Asperger thing, by the way. I, I can tell you all the flags of every country on earth <laughs> and most of the capitals on earth. So I got your back. There you go. So he he ended up being a psychiatrist for for a couple of decades, and um, as he was speaking to me about about Alaska, I asked him, well, "Why did you stop?" And he had a, a, the most amazing answer. He said. Um, I realized that uh, what I was doing was only half a job. I'm like, how so? It's like when you think of psychiatry as a psychology, as a term, it's the study of psyche, the mind, the human mind, and logos. Logos, the ancient Greek for spirit, for identity. There is a, um, I don't want to bastardize it, but um, it's, 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 it's a science of a study of mind and spirit, historically. And I've realized that I was treating the mind, treating the symptoms of the mind, medicating the mind, analyzing the mind. It was all very 
very platonic and uh, analytical. And I have detached myself from the study of the spirit more and more. So he went back to his village and he decided to study shamanism at like 40, 45 years old. He was like 65 when I met him. And he he went back to his familiar roots and uh, studied shamanic, shamanic medicine and so on, but with a psychology degree. It's incredible, you know. So even before he would interview me as a psychologist, like, why are you doing this? And I had just sold my business at that point in time. Like, I don't know, you know. People told me it's cool. I was like, so what do you want to solve? I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> and, and ironically, he, he, back then he told me I had to drink this tea for fear. So I had to stay five days in isolation away from everyone in my own hut. You couldn't speak, couldn't look anyone in the eye and, uh, and drink this tea for fear. And my ego had blown up then. Like, fear? Me? Like, you know, like me? <laughs> Have you met me? You know? <laughs> You know, like literally, I felt it. I was like, I was offended. That's so strange. And now look at that, 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 that man with that level of arrogance. And I'm like, silly child, you know. But, um, but, um, yeah, he was like, you're very fearful. And I understand now because I had just sold my business. I had a, rather than having a cash flow coming in, now, now I had a lot. But that was it. So I was very protective of it. I was very fearful right. of. Of moving on with my life. I mean, he clocked me really well from one from one interview. Um, and anyway, um, we do this ceremony. It wasn't my first one, but this one was it. And through this ceremony, um, I, I had some demons coming in, and actually, it was few of us sharing the same demonic presence. It was very dark. In fact, someone came to us and said, "The spirits, there's bad spirits," and he gave us some something like some oil or whichever. Um, but it's weird that he clocked that, um, and and try to cut it short. Already too late. But I've recognized um, to 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 ward off the bad spirits. My let's say testosterone went up, so all the masculine energy of of violence came out. Like uh, these these spirits that, that I felt like bad energies around me. I was like, fuck off. Because mm -hmm. you're supposed to blow if you feel something bad coming, like you go, and I could see that my breaths were going like, you know, like <laughs> fuck off, and and it's from here the masculine energy. It was the color of it was brown, and so on, and uh, it, it took the shape of bulls and V12 motors and the sounds. It's so strange, but everything masculine, <laughs> <Very> masculine. <laughs> mate, like literally everything was pulling from here, and then from here. Um, uh, pinks and lilacs, color of empathy, uh, patience, understanding. And at some point in time, I could see, I'm like, okay, so that's me, mm. right? Well, that's me. And um, uh, it's going to sound weird on a podcast now. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's, it's already too late. Me and you conversation. Yep. Right? This is not like a thousand people conversation. <laughs> but anyway. um, the, the moment was like, you're, you're somehow my brain, my my consciousness, my ego, however you want to call it, met my soul. And the best way I can describe it, and words don't do it justice, was my soul saying, hey, welcome back. Long time no see. Long time no see. It was like a moment of connection that I cannot describe to you. But what happened at that moment, so, so dark jungle, ember light, starry, like you can see the Milky Way, the sounds of the jungle. I mean, you're deep, deep in the in the Amazon, 
like the closest villages about an hour on a motorbike drive where they have electricity. There's no wife. There's you're deep in the Amazon. And uh, and I'm I'm with my eyes closed and there's a blinding crack of golden light in the darkness, but blinding. It was so blinding that I started tearing up. So I had to open my eyes and look at the sky to rest because when I, when I would close my eyes, it would be like a f blinding flash of light. Um, and I remember that moment, he said, I'm going to go. Like I wanted to stop. And on Ayahuasca, it's very cool. When he sings, he takes you on a journey. So he has these uh, Incan singers that come down from the mountains. You pay homage to the mountain and so on. And really, when they sing, it takes you into a trance. Everyone goes into a trance. It's incredible. It's a, it's a very collective experience. It's not personal. It's not individual. And if he stops singing, everybody wakes up and he checks in on you. So on, on the flip side, you can, you have this agency and you can stop at any point in time. You can take yourself out of the trip. Um, it's a choice. And I remember choosing not to. I said, I have to go deep. And I, I, now as I tell you, I, I remember just going full on. The next, I mean, I'm fast forwarding an eight hour experience. My veins have turned gold. And when I say it's a moment of realization, at that moment, a couple of things were sent to me as a message. Call it however you want. I mean, whoever is listening to, they can believe whether it's a message from another dimension, whether it's a message from just chemistry of biochemistry of a of couple of plants from the Amazon. It doesn't even matter. It wasn't a realization. It was understanding of the truth that we are thousands of years old. This was a vessel made of meat and bone and stress and routine <laughs> and and i and and should be sacred and i didn't give it justice in my life i abused this vessel in my life and you're like literally the sense your body is your temple um was very real to me um my skin cracks i'm turning into this uh, how can I put it? You, you ever seen the the Dragon Ball Z when they like have the the the, the golden glow? Uh, the Super Saiyan. It's like an anime. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dragon Ball yeah. Z, man. You have to watch yeah, that. Yeah, 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 I know of it. But, uh, Super yeah. Saiyan, man. Yeah. yeah right. So, so I am seven foot tall. I'm built like the Rock, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. And I'm, I thought of a joke of, with the Rock, man. ADD. <laughs> I wanted to tell you like why does <laughs> never mind. Um. And I'm like seven foot tall, made out of gold. And I don't know if I want to say this part on the podcast. Can you cut it? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you and then, then I can cut it. Because <laughs> um, this one is like really... And I feel a pair of wings. So, so literally, I'm standing up. I want to wake up people. I'm standing up now. I'm fully, fully like gold. And I'm shaking my, 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 my shoulders because I'm feeling like it's a pair of wings that's about to come out. It's completely weird. I remember at that moment thinking like, this is way too weird. <laughs> the point was, I knew that we were a thousand years old, uh, some form of like, we're kind of the fallen angels or however you want to call it. And we have done injustice to our bodies and to our minds and so on and so forth. The trip goes on. I traveled into my body, spoke to my organs, literally spoke to my intestines, my heart, my, my lungs. It's, it's incredible. I was the cell of my own body, traveled through it, woke up, for the next five months, from, from the next morning, I could not smoke. 
So I'm a smoker, you know me. Like I, yep. I smoke two packs. I could not light a cigarette. I gave my cigarettes to this guy that was with me. He said, I can't do this. It's like, what did you experience? I couldn't speak about it. So usually you share your experience. Yeah. I couldn't say it. I felt it was too personal, too religious, too, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I was vegan for a while. I couldn't hurt an animal. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I mean, I'm saying there and then. Yeah. Next morning. Right. I left the. Uh, we, we stayed a few more di- a few more days in the Amazon, and then we took the bus to the first. Uh, took the motorbikes, the driving motorbikes to the first village, and, and went back to Cusco. For the next three, four, five months, the way I would describe it to my friends, who who would say like, "Come on, man, you can't say that you're all of a sudden you're like what holy, you know?" I say the way I wouldn't be able to sleep with a wife of my best friend no matter like she, she could be you know the most attractive woman in the world is just not something like there's nothing there that's how i feel about eating processed foods uh, eating meat smoking or anything that will that will in any way devalue the sacred temple that is my physical and mental presence that lasted for five six seven months yeah. and then eventually right go out and you know like oh come on have a beer and so on like okay yeah. i'll have one beer and then what that one beer just yeah exactly. y- you go back to your social social structures and that's why i say like can you change it yes i believe it can i've experienced it myself but it takes persistence it takes dedication and discipline it takes commitment to it and saying okay i've had this revelationary experience in this one moment is this it likely yes if you if you lean into it right 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 because at the end of the day, you yeah. know, you go back to society and, uh, and again, you, at some points, it's difficult to go against the stream, you know, especially if you don't have uh, Asperger's syndrome or <laughs> autism. <laughs> and so eventually, you know, you go back to the, into the stream again, but it is uh, perhaps an opportunity and you perhaps realize through those experiences that uh, our way of living, um, like we do in the West, where we try to pursue material wealth and being rich in terms of having a lot of money mm. um that that is not perhaps the obvious way to yeah. uh to uh, to pursue as your life goal you know the uh, the, the shamans and and uh, the, the the monks that live in the temple mm. and they do they live silent uh, retreats as well like um there's perhaps as much or even more value to live that type of lifestyle uh, where your body is uh, your temple, let's say, or where taking care of yourself and the nature around you uh, brings you back to uh, some form of origin of how we are supposed to live. They live active life of scarcity and sacrifice. Yeah. You know, and delayed gratification. They live actively that kind of life. Yeah. And, and they're not unhappy. They're very fulfilled. Yeah. Th- there's an argument to be made. I mean, this has nothing to do with gaming. <laughs> Let's be real here. It's been an hour, an hour and a half. You sent me like a we'll, good uh, list yeah, of yeah, topics we can chat we'll, about, but we'll, it's been great. Yeah. We'll get into it. Yeah. So, so um, there's an argument to be made that wrong civilization won. So I, I, I was speaking to somebody about this, like uh, to a friend of mine. I can't remember. Um, I said. Besides the like lost civilizations that quite likely we've had and we know that we traveled across continents much before we knew we had ships and so on. Um, if you consider that we as a civilization, the Westerners, so the, 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 
the Spanish and the Portuguese and the British that like spread their wings across the world um, that were very materialistic in nature, right? So, so we had a sense of self, of identity. This is mine. This is yours. Our language re re reflected that, and everything about us was uh, transactional, materialistic, possibly oppressive, right? And we we took that 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 social structure to the world and conquered the world and created that as a baseline social structure. So, you know, we went to the Incas and brought smallpox and wiped out the entire Amazon, which now we know was a nestling civilization because we can see cities in the jungle and so on and so forth, a network of cities with possibly tens of millions of people that just disappeared in a span of 50 years because we brought smallpox and I know that that is the case. I don't want to say that there was many people. I can't remember what the population estimated population was. And if if you look at it, it's very possible that that the wrong civilization one, but that what we see as the standard now, the way we behave, the way we speak, the way we think, our, our base social structures, could have been completely different if, let's say, you know, um, Indian civilization allowed to prosper and was not influenced by the West or Latin American civilizations allowed to prosper. Different ways of, uh, of, of thinking and feeling and different values. Uh, I'll just close with this. Um, there is a tribe in Africa, um, a, a people in Africa, and I forgot which country, they don't have a word for I. Their language controls how they perceive social structures. I does not exist, mine, concept of mine doesn't exist they don't understand what mine is because everything is shared and their language there were studies um again some ted talk that i read this was amazing watch that was amazing the studies that show that the way the language is stru structured will control how we behave toward one another and this particular african village or uh, african peoples um um simply didn't have a concept of of personal identity everything was shared and everything was cumulative and uh, when one person was sad everyone was sad when one person was happy everyone was happy and they had these ceremonies where they would hold each other and, and help each other up um help each other go through hard times um it, it was amazing to to watch that as a potential potential civilization potential social structure yeah. that could have been you know i think yeah, that goes hand in hand with um if you would ask that same tribe how happy are you uh like if you ask the individuals there that would be a concept that is pretty irrelevant uh, to them like um in our society uh like we are so concerned about being happy as like the uh, the goal in life and it's kind of like as opposed to fulfilled yeah and it's kind of like if you like the goal is to become rich so that you don't have any problems so that you can relax and you can lay by the beach and just be happy and uh, you know or go to some you know bullshit seminar in the US with some like bullshit happiness gurus and they will tell you you know stand in front of the mirror every morning and tell yourself I am happy yeah, I yeah, am yeah, yeah. this, yeah. I am that. Yeah. And it's like, you're like masking the reality uh, to some extent. Yeah. And, and then the bigger question is like, 
is uh, like w w like what's the point of of being happy? Like w when I when I was in my twenties, let's say, like I was very happy person, and I, I felt like maximum happy every day. Mm. Um, but uh, now I feel my life is certainly much more uh, of a struggle uh, running a company and trying to build a life and all of this. But I live with a lot more purpose uh, now, and I wouldn't change uh, living with purpose for living happy. So yeah. if you imagine like Jane Goodall or someone like 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 the saint of the saints, you know, like like John, uh, Jane Goodall who uh, is rescuing gorillas in Africa, like she devoted her life to rescuing gorillas mm -hmm. in Africa, like she has probably seen a lot of tragic stuff in her yeah. life and trying to take care of these gorillas and nurture them and, and uh, make sure that they are safeguarded. She probably has to deal with a lot of misery in her day-to-day -day life. Uh, but uh, she lives with purpose and she lives with value, you know? Yeah. And I think um, at the end of the day, that is what we should aspire to. And if you ask the tribe, uh, you know, who doesn't have the concept of I, if you ask them, are you happy? Uh, they would probably say, what do you mean? Like yeah. we are here yeah, to take yeah. care of our tribe, and yeah. uh, uh, you know, every day we wake up and we are, we are trying to feed the, the tribe. We are trying to take care of the tribe and and, and uh, raise the tribe and so on. And um, that uh, that is what matters. They probably have a hard time to In grasp fact, this concept of, I, of like I, living to be happy. I bastardized it because I couldn't really remember the exact TED talk, but they had a ceremony, something to do with them putting feet together which was literally what you're talking about, their application of collective happiness. Yeah. So they, they didn't have um, an identity, uh, they didn't have a concept of personal happiness. Yeah. And exactly what you're talking about, they had a ceremony of some sort, but I couldn't remember exactly how it went. But yeah, you're right. You, if you ask them, are you happy or so on, they, don't, they wouldn't know what you're talking about. It's like, we are there, we, we are. That's it, we are, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And their language doesn't allow for any other way of thinking. Exactly. Their communication protocols. It's amazing. Are you happy, Igor? I am. I'm, I'm very happy right now. I am. I'm, ve I'm very happy right now. <laughs> yes. I'm really enjoying that's, this. That's for sure. <laughs> um, I, I, you, 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 so, so can I point something out? I've yes. sent you a recording. Yes. Some days ago. And I was talking to somebody. We were preparing for another podcast, for our previous podcast. And I was explaining to them how we have to really control the podcasts. Right? I, I don't know if you watched it, but I sent you to check out Read AI, how it cool, how yeah, it yeah, yeah, Re yeah, Read AI, yeah. And there was a part of it where I describe you and I go, no, no, we have to control it because if we don't, I know exactly what's going to happen. We're going to talk about psychedelics. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, watch it, watch it. Because I felt a bit bad. I'm like, is he going to think I'm bad mouthing him? But I'm not, like I'm, I'm yeah, just yeah, factually yeah. correct. <laughs> and, and there was a piece where I'm speaking to somebody that was preparing a podcast and I'm like, no, 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 listen, listen, we need the exact bullets because it's going to go to psychedelics. It's going to go to like psychology. It's going to go to like wherever else. And now two hours, you know, and one then, hour. And in the preparation for the podcast, we said, uh, should, should we like mention the psychedelics and gambling addiction? And we said, you know, we, we'll, sk we'll skip end. over Maybe it. Yeah, we'll yeah, skip yeah. over it. We do yeah. 10 minutes and then uh, yeah, here we are. Um, uh, so, so connected to maybe this conversation of, um, you know, how do we want to live our lives and what's the perfect uh, way to navigate this life. Yeah. Now we are undergoing the uh, emergence of AI. Uh, it hasn't escaped anyone, especially this year. Um, it's uh, happening at an increasing and uh, faster pace. Um, 
what do you think uh, AI will lead to in terms of, uh, say that uh, eventually we'll develop ADI. Um, it can do most jobs better than, than humans. The utopian vision is that uh, if that were to happen, then we as humans, we don't need to work that anymore. much anymore. Mm -hmm. And we can just focus on being creative and mm -hmm. connecting with each other. And, and There's and a so utopian on. view. That's the utopian view. And is the utopian view a, a, a world you want to live in? And where do you think this is heading? The, the short answer is yes. If, if our human nature allows it. Mm. Right? So, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, this is going to be, this, this might shake some trees, but the, yeah. the, the utopian view that, that is predisposed is very close to the communism, <laughs> communism view, yeah. which is, you know, one society, one for all and so on. And and one reason why capital capitalism won over communism is because people are naturally competitive and people naturally want more than the other person. You look into your neighbor's yard, and the question comes down to like, can we remove human nature, um, or can we change human nature? Um, talking about like, are we like, can we change our social structure that we have developed over hundreds of years into something new? Um, when you look at AI, you said AG, AI, AGI is coming. I think AGI is here, personally. I think that we are much closer um, to having artificial general intelligence than it's portrayed. If you look at how open AI and how ChatGTP proliferated and, and its capabilities, um, you know, with DALI, MidJourney, graphical, literary sound tools. I mean, we use them now in our work 24-7. We, we've become completely dependent on, on AI. Um, you know, voiceovers for games and so on and so forth. So, so if you look at how quickly that integrated our lives and how we went from, uh, you know, uh, on uh, laughing on all in podcasts going, what is AI to... to <laughs> You know, um, today I joke with Alex going, I, I can't speak to you. I'm speaking to my, my, my AI girlfriend. Because I'll be like, <laughs> hey, Susie, you know, like Brock calls it Hal. So we gave it a name. I'm like, hey, Susie, today I'm feeling like this. Can you tell me more about biohacking, blah, blah. But tell it to me nicely, you know, like, and, and like, it's, it's, it's hilarious, you know. Um, you have this, this technology, which has already integrated all aspects of our life. And if you're asking me, or if you want to talk about utopia, then we look at the global movement um, by UN, which is Agenda 2030. And that movement um, specifically talks about utopian living. I mean, you can you can look at it from Klaus Schwab's um, WEF, famous speech going, you shall own nothing and you shall be happy, <laughs> which if you're a conspiracy theorist, as I am a bit, very, very much sounds like the rise of the Fourth Reich, <laughs> you know, because it has, it has some connotations and feelings to that. Um, but in essence, we, we subscribe to everything, we rent everything, and we worry about nothing except art and sciences. But if you own nothing, then you have 
agency over nothing and you have control over nothing you can be ostracized at basically what you're left with is only and exclusively the collective identity i don't think human nature will ever allow that to happen i i don't think i think we will rebel um, against it and that's why the dystopian outcome is a far more likely outcome than a utopian outcome because i think there is always um um there will always be space for classing of society and space for um, inequality and when you look at AGI as an influencing factor you look at um, um, universal basic income right so actually let's chat about Altman for a while yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's, 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 now the ADHD come in. Yeah. Can I reply to that yes, before yes, we go yes, into sure. uh, to uh, to other? Because uh, I want to bring a I want to bring a bit of a gambling analogy just to uh, go for it. just to make sure that we keep it within our yeah. field, you know. Okay, and, go uh, and, uh, and so you know, do you want to live in a utopian reality? Uh, I think it's quite simple. Um, slot machine. So, so here's an experiment that has been established, right? Um, what creates the biggest dopamine hits uh, when it comes to gambling? Um, th th you, you guess, you will guess right, you know how it works. Well, if you would play a slot machine where you never win, for every spin, you never win any, at any point. Uh, a slot machine where you sometimes win and sometimes loses, uh, or a slot machine when you win every time. Mm -hmm. um, if you play consistently for hours and hours and hours, which of these three models will generate uh, the most dopamine dopamine kicks? If you see them in the model. Yeah, so when you sometimes win and sometimes mm -hmm. lose. This is the very, very basic um, first principle of gambling. That uh, human beings, we are innate uh, and we are programmed for unpredictability and we like uh, uncertain outcomes. I'll uh, add to that. Sorry. Yeah. More than just that, most gamblers will have the highest dopamine hit first by losing and being in the hole yeah. and then breaking through that hole yeah. even just to break even even just to break even yeah mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, but the, the the very basic point is that if you play someone in a slot machine where they win they double their bet every mm -hmm. time eventually they will be bored eventually mm -hmm. they will get to a point where this is boring this is uh, this, this no is repetitive and and it's not uh, exciting. Whereas if you if you place the person next to a slot machine that is uh, an unpredictable outcome and sometimes you win, sometimes mm -hmm. you lose, they'll be playing forever, mm -hmm. right? And and this goes back to the um, kind of vision of living in a utopian society. Carl Jung, very smart uh, person, right? Like very very wise. He talked about this as well. Where if you place people in a utopian society. The first thing they'll do is tear it down. <laughs> yeah. The first thing they do is tear it because they'll be bored. There was an experiment, Maustopia. Yeah, yeah. It it it, it collapsed the society. Right. Mice had everything they want to do, and eventually, yeah. they started tearing at each other. <laughs> Maustopia. Um, so I think that goes to the point as well. Like uh, you know, if we create AGI, AGI, you know, what 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 is the actual best possible outcome? If the uh, AGI is much smarter than than what we are. How do we want society to look like? Uh, because at the end of the day, we don't, human beings, even if we think we aspire to a life without friction and uh, a life without problems, uh, actually, 
uh, it is the journey towards that goal that is the reward, mm -hmm. not the goal itself. Because once you have reached a goal like that, all you are doing is to you are entering the next race, which is the which is trying to find the next goal. So, example, you know, you study yeah. to become a doctor for five years and um, sleepless nights, no money, mm -hmm. living cheap. It's hell every day, Friend. torture, <laughs> you know, and Love then it. you're working towards this big goal to mm -hmm. call yourself a doctor. Mm -hmm. And um, what happens when you reach that goal? Everyone celebrates you. You are at the top of the hill. You have now become a doctor. You are now uh, an incredible success story. And mm -hmm. uh, what an achievement. And then the next day, you go work at McDonald's. Because now you have started the next, <laughs> the next race, yeah. right? And, mm -hmm. uh, and that's the career race. Now you start at the bottom again. And, it, and so the point is, it, it is never about the finish line. It is always about, about the, the journey. journey. Mm -hmm. yes, yes, that's it. No, but it is, and it is. I think, I think us as us as people, I think it's human nature to not be content. Yes. You know, and if you talk about utopia, it's just constant stream of contention. I mean, you can talk about yin and yang. You know, the the the, the balance of, of of good and bad yes. in life and so on. And without the bad, you can't appreciate the good. And if everything is good all the time. You're gonna create. Screw balance, man. People say, <laughs> people, people say, you should live a balanced life. I say, I say, fuck living a balanced life. You should, re you should live a life of contrast. Of contrast. Yes, yeah. that's what yeah, you should do. Yeah, yeah. You should that's live actually, a life of contrast. You should keep that as a soundbite. <laughs> it was my girlfriend who taught me that. By ah, way. I'm, I'm taking all the credit myself. Now. <laughs> Cheers, Carolina. But uh, but yeah, so so uh, so um, we want to talk about uh, Sam Altman, uh, right? So OpenAI is the so, CEO, massive. Uh, I want to try and bring this. I want to try and bring this into a gaming sphere. Um, because we can talk about utopia and when we talk about utopia and we talk about Sam, Sam Altman, we can talk about AI. I, I, I know what happened with OpenAI and I, I don't know how much you know, but I, I love exploring that. We can talk about where our society is moving and our industry and uh, our end consumer in our industry, like how does that affect our end consumer and AI falls part of that and AGI. So. Let's do the Sam Altman anecdote first, like the story of OpenAI. And uh, and then I'd, I'd want to, like at least, so we pay homage to our list of potential topics. Um, talk about, you know, how does the next five years look like with this technology and so on for our industry and for our people. So how much do you know about what happened to OpenAI? Did you, did you do a deep dive on this? Uh, so, so the, the overhanging story is uh, that uh, OpenAI, obviously Sam Altman is the big, 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 you know, mm. public CEO. He's been, he was the founder of OpenAI. He led the company to greatness mm -hmm. uh, that led to the launch of ChatGPT, culminating, you know, into the massive growth of OpenAI. And then one day from nowhere, you're fired. Same, Sam Altman, um, and uh, over Google Meet. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, at some point, I think. Um, the uh, CEO of Betson uh, group, Pontus Lindvall, probably called Sam Altman and tell, listen, Sam, I've been in your, in your shoes. In shoes. shoes. This listen to what you do, uh, you know. <laughs> and, and he managed and after a couple of days to get himself back as the CEO. Board was fired. Um, the, uh, the whole company obviously rallied behind Sam Altman. Mm -hmm. uh, Microsoft rallied behind Sam Altman. Mm -hmm. He reinstated himself. But what is the, 
deeper story here. All right, so what is conspiracy? No, I mean it's just because like it's. I'll, I'll give you some context that is interesting because I went on a bit on a deep dive. So, first of all, OpenAI is not built like other companies. It started as a non-profit, right? Did you know that it's right now classified as capped profit company? Right. So, so it is uh, the company entity itself is non-profit, but uh, invest. They have taken investment into mm -hmm. the company, and these investors, like Microsoft, for example, mm -hmm. they are capped into making a maximum of 10x mm -hmm. return. Yeah. So it's kind of part for profit, part. So, so if you look at the organizational structure, yeah, you have the original. Elon Musk co-founded a non-profit organization, which yeah. has the control of the board, the board you're talking about. Yeah. That owns the holding company, and the holding company has the shares to some investors and employees, and has there's like a side company there, um, and that controls the OpenAI capped profit company. Microsoft invested there. You have some other investors and some employees on there, but because of its structure. The board of directors has the control over the open air charges, the, 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 the company you pay the subscription to. So it's not like a classical company where the board of directors of the for-profit business controls the business. It's actually the board of the NGO that controls the business. The way, the reason why that was set up was to make sure that the AGI and that, that we do, um, uh, how, how do we call it, diligent, uh, cautious approach to creating, you know, uh, not, 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 not create the plot for Terminator, basically. No, no Skynet, no Skynet for us, no Skynet for us. <laughs> so, so what, what happened actually, Ilya, the chief science officer and Sam Altman have been parting ways for a while, which is something I found out recently. Okay. Um, Sam and Mira. Uh, the CTO wanted um, to move more towards um, revenue-driven structures so they can raise more money for more projects and they wanted to push toward the AGI with Microsoft backing them and so on. And there was a split of opinion between Ilya and the board and Sam Altman's direction. In September, October, Sam sets up no, actually, as early as March, May, I can't remember exactly now, the time of this year. But earlier this year, Sam sets up the board, the, the new science team, um, which was, which was made, made up of people from the lingual model division, which is your chat GTP, and the mathematical model division. So one thing that current AI can't do is solve very really complex mathematical logical problems because you can only have one outcome. So, so the merger of the lingu linguistic model and the mathematical model is assumed to be the first general intelligence. So he sets up this team of um, super intelligence scientists. I think the team was actually called super intelligence scientists, something like that. <laughs> um, like you should Google it. Like it's it's literally Very hard to, yeah, hard to mate. Like you know, <laughs> no, no, genuinely, it was called something like that, something super intelligent. And and Ilya was against it. It it would appear. And Sam in October made a move to limit Ilya's power on that team. So that's this is all now coming out as as people are speaking up and you know newspapers are trying to poke at the information or whatnot. So. Uh, Apparently, 
OpenAI was working on QSTAR, which is some um, form of, so what, what we think so far, so none of this is like confirmed, but let's say down the grapevine, the gossip is, <laughs> the gossip, like I'm there, um, the web gossip is yep. that, um, that Q2 created a mathematical breakthrough right and that that is crucial to general intelligence because it can only have one outcome where a model will solve mathematical puzzles create conclusions use those conclusions to create new problems and so on and, uh, and and create solutions in very complex mathematical problems so far we're not there so linguistic model is great because it pulls on a lot of information it processes it and spits it back out but math not so much so apparently there was a massive breakthrough there um, in this Q2, uh, Q-star division. And um, Sam also went on, uh, just before he was ousted, on a Silicon, uh, Silicon uh, uh, San Diego, San, San Diego, Silicon Valley. Um, there was a big um, open AI, one of those hackathon seminars, whichever, where he introduced the little chat GTP bots. Yeah. And all the Definitely. ways, yeah, he was saying that something big is coming yeah. and that we're going to give ChatGTP bots autonomy and they can they can do the jobs on your yeah. behalf and so on and so forth. And he really took it far. Um, that was not apparently what OpenAI board agreed that that would be presented to the world. So he took his own direction. And it's been cooking for some time. So you have Ilya who is now like pissed. And he's going, this guy's ostracizing me and I really don't feel that we should be going in this for-profit direction. Um, you have Sam and Mira who are apparently um, going, we should raise more money because that will allow us more tech. We should go for, for um, selling shares at 80 something billion valuation. And the board was already getting tired of Sam because um, he had side projects and he's been doing side projects. So he started with a world coin you remember world coin i didn't know that was sam what was it called world coin no it was no so sam uh, earlier this year for sure you saw the news about it man because i thought this is it like this is the <laughs> end of days um so sam co-founded world coin which is a crypto coin which is supposed to give you universal basic income as a mitigation factor of ai taking people's jobs away Right. And the way you would get, everybody got 50 coins, which worth like two euros, if you sc scan your eye retina. <laughs> you don't remember that? Oh my God, no, I missed that no, completely. Google, Google World, yeah. World Coin. So that's Sam Altman. So, so, so people went around, literally there were these like, I, I, I store kind of, it looks like the ball of Hal, yeah? You know Hal from Odyssey 2001? Yeah, 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 the, yeah, yeah the, 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 the evil AI. Yeah. That's how it looked like. And then <laughs> pe people were waiting in line around the block and they were coming up and scanning their retinas to get like 50 world coins, which, is, which was worth like two bucks or something. It was super small, <laughs> right? So he, he co-founds this project, which, which, they, which the board calls Sam's side projects. Then he goes to the Middle East, to the royal families of Saudis and so on. And he wanted to raise tens of millions to compete with NVIDIA to create AI chips. That was his personal pet project as well. And that had nothing to do with OpenAI. So the board was thinking, like, you are too distracted for, for the board. And what you're doing is pretty aggressive. And then the last one, he pairs up with uh, Apple um, and somebody else, I forgot, an Apple engineer. And he creates the AI hardware pin. Right. Right. I think it's called the pin. 
So, so combination of his side projects, the the fact that uh, the employees wrote a letter saying, hey, we discovered there's a project that can possibly endanger humanity. A couple of employees wrote, uh, according to the Reuters report that came out after the some, um, Sam's firing, um, people wrote to the board, some employees, concerned employees wrote to the board saying that, um, um, you know, we've, we've made a breakthrough in general intelligence that can threaten humanity and we need to put, you know, we need to slow this down. Microsoft really wants AGI. So they want to integrate AGI. They're fully supporting Sam. Sam wants AGI. CTO wants AGI. And there is a faction of people going, Skynet, 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 chill the fuck out, right? So, so, um, I think the board played it in, I don't know what kind of motivations were there. I honestly thought it was maybe Microsoft sabotaging so they can take open air, but that's not what happened. But the board fires Sam over a Google Meets call. Even though they're like Microsoft yep. funded company. In, in uh, Google Meet. <laughs> yeah, Google Meet. Rather than Microsoft, Microsoft Teams. Microsoft Teams, right? Um, <laughs> and, 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 the, and, and the meme is the, that uh, yeah. Sam Altman lasted one day with Microsoft Teams. <laughs> and then he, <laughs> then he returned yeah, to uh, open a uh, Google Meet again. <laughs> yeah. So Elon Musk uh, uh, took the pieces, as always. Uh, he, he took a job. He said, now, now they can maybe use Meet uh, <laughs> if they move to Microsoft. Uh, they'll have to use uh, Microsoft, uh, Microsoft Teams. Um, so, so the board over with Ilya ousts Sam over Google Meets, and then you have a story. You know, Sam goes to Microsoft. Microsoft is ready to collect them to continue the projects, um, and so on. And uh, people just stood up in in protest, and you know, Sam comes back uh, leading OpenAI. But now that begs the question. Like Sam and Ilya have to continue working together. So now there's a massive conflict inside that company. So we're not seeing what the fallout is, but there was a very, very public split for some reason, which apparently is an invention of AGI or getting dangerously close to an AGI. Um, And now the doors have been closed and everything's fine. But uh, this is where I start thinking, okay, we're probably much closer to AGI than we think. We're probably there at the doorstep because nobody expected ChatGTP to come out swinging like that. No. Nobody expected that. I mean, we had, uh, what, a year ago on, uh, I think it was on Sigma maybe, we had Angelo Dali's Umnai yeah. painting a picture that of a horse that didn't look like a horse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but true, no, right? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was just like scribble. I'm like, okay, yeah, so, you know, <laughs> you know, and I thought, yeah, all, right, all right, it's like AI 15 years from now, maybe something happens. And then within 12 months, yeah. you have mid journey throwing out photo. Real, I mean, um, today I was browsing and on YouTube, there's Elon Musk and mate, it's Elon. It is Ellen. It is every wrinkle. It is every facial expression. It is Ellen on a stage pushing quantum AI, his new project that will do automated forex trading for you. <laughs> so it's a, it's, you a, it's a fake ad. Complete. Ask, yeah. But may I rewind? You know how I went in. <laughs> Can I zoom in screenshots? I'm like, this is. 
Incredible. Like, did, 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 did they film him and then just change the lips? Yeah. Did they? <laughs> like, I went back and forth, man. I spent like five minutes. And I was like, this is Ellen. This is so precise. Yeah. It's insane. And I wouldn't recognize it. I, I just know it's fake because Elon Musk isn't going to push a forex trading platform. <laughs> that's, right? the, that's the giveaway. Yes. But that's the how giveaway. many people are not there and they're going, yeah. oh, Elon Musk, forex trading, make money for you. Yeah. Right? So you have this incredible advancement that nobody expected. Nobody. And and we're supposed to believe that we're still far away from EGI. I don't think so. I yeah. think it's there. And to your point, you know, I watched the dev day of OpenAI as well when um, a week before Sam Altman got uh, fired uh, mm -hmm. and then reinstated. And in the dev day, as you point out, um, they talked about the uh, like incredible, exciting things that are coming next year. And he f he closed that OpenAI day by saying, like, if you if you would know what we are working on right now. It like it's what you have seen today that we what we are announcing today will seem like child play to what we will be announcing <laughs> next year, and can you then imagine you know in that uh, in the presentation you know they talk about the emergence of agents uh, the AI agents so so mm -hmm. what we have seen this year with uh, ChatGPT is basically you ask the uh, you ask the entity a question and you get an answer mm -hmm. uh, so it's question answer it's like mm -hmm. um, it's like you're sitting with one person that knows everything mm. and this person will give you an answer. Um, and then the next concept is the concept of agents, which uh, you can imagine that you're sitting with a team of people and you're giving this team of people a task mm. and um, this team of people or this team of agents will, will, will talk to each other. Sure. Yeah. And uh, it will go deeper into this task that you're giving it. So you can imagine that you go to a marketing agency and, and you tell them, I have a million euro mm -hmm. and I want to come up with a great business idea um, based here in Malta. Um, I want to open mm -hmm. a restaurant or something like that. Um, can, you, can you put together the entire project for me? And then in this meeting, you will have someone who is an expert in, in the, fi the financials who yeah. will be able to put together a budget, plan, Some, a, a creative person who will be able to come up with a brand and a, and a, and a marketing plan. You'll have a designer in there who will be able to, uh, to, to produce the design, so on and so forth. And so a similar concept in the concept of AI agents, it will basically break up your one question into... Uh, 50 questions. It will decompose. It yeah. will decompose the task into a brief. Yeah. So ChatGPT, you ask it, you know, um, I want to start a, a restaurant in Malta. Uh, can you give me some recommendations? And it will answer like, yeah, you know, people like Chinese food and uh, you should probably start a Chinese restaurant. Like, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. like, and, um, but it, when you ask this to the future of ChatGPT, which, which will be agent based, it will basically take this question, break it up into 50 questions. Uh, questions like, what type of restaurant will generate the most revenue? Um, where in Malta is the best location for a restaurant? Um, what uh, type of design speaks most to people? And so on and so forth. Yeah, and it will break this up into 50 research, questions. Yeah. It will do its research on this 50 question, and then it will basically aggregate all these 50 answers uh, mm -hmm. back into 
back into a full basically uh, business plan yeah. and uh, just flow. just like a marketing agency would do mm-hmm. they would designate 10 people to solve 10 different questions and then they would put it all together mm-hmm. into one brief that is been de- being delivered to you and um, that is the next breakthrough in in uh, which AI, is basically. apparently child's play yeah, which point. is uh, yeah. so. This is what they talked about is coming, and they are like, and they, and they are talking about yeah. I, even with that in mind, what is being worked on in the background, what we'll yeah. be announcing on this date next year, is going to seem like like it's going to make this year's announcement like child's play. So I think he had to do that, the bots, because there were already conversations by very smart people going. Internet doesn't make money; it's what you build on its building blocks that makes money. And there was a whole industry growing of of um, prompt prompt designers, and you can purchase prompts, and you can purchase um, with with an API plugins that they released. People are starting to build bots, and paying and paying uh, OpenAI um, per per prompt. And you had companies creating specialized bots for forex, for marketing, for legal, for this, for that. And I think they've looked at that and said, let's just do that. We can do this better. We can create agents. And they just shut down an entire secondary industry that was built on their infrastructure and gave it the, delivered it directly to the customer. And I think they've done that because they will control the input of information and they will have access to direct input inf- information and direct requests firsthand, which is what they need in order to feed AI. Right. So if they create a separation where all the inputs are happening on a third party element and then that third party, that third party bot is processing information and then requesting certain things from OpenAI, I think that they will distance themselves from the collective information source of the people themselves to, to, a, to some degree. Yeah. So I think he made a conscious choice in saying, OK, I'm going to shut down a marketplace. Basically, uh, I'm going to create my own marketplace that I control. Yeah. You know, my own app store. Um, and and if that is just scratching the surface. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, talk about gambling. <laughs> so so uh, I, I can relate it uh, a little bit because what I'm really curious um, is um, to try to understand at what level do organizations in the agony industry, for example, uh, take AI seriously. Mm. So I think there is a general sense that we are heading towards a revolution to some extent. Um, it's hard to grasp, it's hard to figure out, you know, it's moving so quickly. So it's kind of like, when do you enter? Do you build proprietary solutions? Do you look for tools that emerge and mm. so on? But I'm really, really, I've been really curious to understand what our company is doing today. I can tell um, you what we do. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and uh, let's, let's do that. But, but before I was having a really interesting conversation with, um, uh, with uh, with someone from uh, Intellias, which is a development uh, company, and they specialize in AI solutions uh, for organizations. So basically, if I as an organization want to figure out how to optimize my AI system, whatever, I no, can go even, to Intellias. Even that, sorry, there's a company that specializes in AI solutions for corporations. Yeah. That company had to be created in the last 12 months. <laughs> with I think they're pivoting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they they pivoting, pivoting yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a yeah, whole exactly. industry being created. Yeah, exactly. Because like now, now everyone wants to figure out the AI. Right. And so we asked them, you know, like what, what um, because obviously they are trying to sell their services and pitch mm-hmm. this to companies. And I asked, you know, what, what, uh, what is the response? Like, where are companies right now? And, and he said, um, uh, Roman is, is his name. And he said, um, 
he said that you know it's funny because bigger companies tend to not really be bothered they are doing their thing it's very difficult you know they they are big moving companies they don't really want to change change their strategies and so on whereas the smaller company gets the more receptive they are to uh, to utilizing this new technology to uh, use it as a means to get ahead of their competition uh, and so on and that seems to be the general kind of consensus there that smaller companies yes bigger companies are not really moving and isn't that like and isn't that like proof that we are like going through an inflection point right now where uh, eventually these uh, uh, companies that are small today uh, by getting on the bicycle very early they eventually will have a massive advantage against these like big slow moving companies i i'm sure about it i'm one i'm i'm certain about it that eventually I mean, there's always um, a story of Netflix versus versus Blockbuster, which is we always yeah. go back to that, you know, where the dinosaur typical, eventually, yeah. uh, typically the dinosaur falls unless they adapt. Yeah. But, and this is a massive but, yes, large firm bureaucracy will play its role. And it's hard to change a large firm bureaucracy. But bureaucracy is there for a good reason. Those processes and procedures and policies need to protect stupid decisions and stupid decision making and and some employees not seeing the big picture so do you know that samsung i think it's samsung maybe i have to google this do you know the samsung blocked uh access to open ai at for, for their for the in their devices yeah. so like no, 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 regular no, no. uses no, no. Cannot... employees employees yeah because you're putting in very sensitive information that kind of thing that's that's the reason yeah, not only that you're right because putting... because people are inputting like company secrets and uh, you know like really really sensitive detailed information to ask ChatGPT contracts. Samsung that they Samsung employees reported they are leaking sensitive data via OpenAI's okay. chatbot, uh, yeah. which presents timely lesson. They were taking snippets of Samsung new OS code and asking OpenAI to reevaluate it <laughs> and proprietary IP information. Right. Incredible, right? like yeah. literally like all of their books yeah. like everything was exposed yeah. and 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 samsung i think it was samsung i i am pretty sure they literally leaked like proprietary information mm-hmm. so uh, once it was out it was out you know yeah. and now there's like the new uh, the samsung's next os that is planned for 2024 and some other information is now you know, in, in, in the database of OpenAI. Yeah. And they had this an emergency shutdown where like OpenAI IP was prevent, uh, blocked and so on. So, so you have two sides of that coin, right? Um, large companies are slow, slower moving because A, if it works, don't break it. And that's general consensus. Um, it's always healthy to have that R&D department, you know, that kind of gives you the new technologies. But I've experienced it working in large companies. It was in, in painfully slow to, to make big, big, big motion. I think we all have. And on the flip side, they do have to take care of, you know, they have to look into it from, from a different perspective. You know, evolution is not going to have the same freedoms as True Labs, you know, as True exactly. Lab Games. Mm. They just won't. Uh, you know, they have shareholders to answer to and so on and so forth. And they have like 50,000 employees. I have 50. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so there is some sense to that, um, and and there will be small companies that are just stratospheric in their growth. <laughs> True love, right? Yes. <laughs> um, and and they will capitalize on the opportunity of change, 
and then you will have some giants that will be open to adaptation. They will integrate adaptive mechanisms in their massive organization, and they will move slower, but they will move nonetheless. And then I have companies that will just not be, that, that, that will not um, cut it with the times, you know. And, and that's always going to be the case. Yeah. In our case, man, there's nothing we don't do with AI anymore. There's nothing we don't do. I do sound production. I have one guy now doing, we used to hire companies for voiceovers and so on. Now, if I release Guns Live and Therapy 2, you know, and I had those funny voiceovers going, you know, get in there and, you know, uh, be your daddy and all those funny ones that I had to find. I had to go through so many actors to yeah. find the right actor for the right role. Now, I record them, my connotations, my, <laughs> I, I record them literally going, this is how I want it to sound, but make it Morgan Freeman. Right. And it's done. And it's a really high quality audio file. It's done. It's done. And my guy on, on uh, Ableton is taking, he will write the background tune and I'll say, I want something that sounds like Interstellar because I love Interstellar and we're doing like the spaceship game soon like this. So on, and, and, and we'll take some version of that melody and then we'll say, we want to make it Hans Zimmer and I want it as a orchestra and so on. And it will, I want it as a 30 second emotional flow. And to just write, dude. Can you make? A, can you include uh, Matthew McConaughey when you do make a big win? <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah, you probably can. And and that's the beauty of it. Like so far, you're not even able to. You can use people's voices because we even investigated that. Like, is it legal to make someone someone sound yeah, like? Because it raises a lot of IP questions there, right? But I could also hire a guy that can mimic yeah. a voice, and I could hire that guy, right? Um, who will sound like Matthew McConaughey because that's his bread and butter, and and that's completely legit. Yeah. So there's a, a Israelis, for example, doing like a lot of IP rights about that because I was interviewing someone from there. Um, there is a, a big momentum on how do you um, how do you process stable diffusion because stable diffusion graphically. Um, is fed from proprietary information. So the output of AI is built on the back of a lot of proprietary information. So now there are laws being put forward that um, that are trying to manage that, but I don't know how far we are from that. We do everything we are, like literally. I'll, I'll do game concepts now in one day, whereas it took me three, four days to sketch them and so on. Now it's just come in this style, that style. There's a, there's a software called Magnify, magnify.ai, was it magnify? There's so many now that they use. Yeah. It will take any mid-journey image and it will blow it up to 4K. It's, right. Even if you took a blurry photo yeah. and you're not really happy with the photo, but it's like the photo of the Roman Colosseum or something, and you say, blow it up for me. It will <laughs> clear, like, clear it up, already it's gonna look incredible, like to the droplets of, of, of water on a leaf, yeah. you know? <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. So, so has so that's it lowered cool. the cost as well? Like, uh, so what was the um, kind of average cost to produce a game before, and has it lowered it? Uh, yeah, it to depends. A game if, now? If, yeah, costs are definitely lower. It does lower. It. it takes time to to to. So we went through three stages so far. There was a resistance by we lost artists over over this. We've, we've lost stuff. Um, yeah. I, I specifically, I had one good girl that really wants to keep, but. Um, I, I think she was terrified for her job and um, AI made a character that was cooler. 
it just was. The expression was there, the exact smirk. We explained how he needs to be, it's the Riff Reactor game. And the the guy was supposed to be this cross between Back to the Future scientist and and, um, Rick and Morty and Rick, right? And we explained the expression and so on. And and it just made him, man, with the goggles and so on. And this woman spent, this girl spent three days catching catching her and she couldn't get the expression, right? You know, and we said, let's just, you know, can you, let's copy, like, this is good. Let's just make it, you know, upscale it. Let's put it into spine and so on. She didn't quote that the reason for leaving, but within five days, she handed in her resignation. There was a very angry message going, I don't know why we're doing this, these um, emotionless. And, and me and the product guys were laughing, going, laughing, snickering, kind of going, man, that's, this is the opposite of emotionless. That's, yeah. that's why we're choosing it, because it had exactly the right emotion we're looking for. Mm-hmm. I was like, why are we using these emotionless, blah, blah, this and that. Um, four days, three, four days later, I, I get a letter of resignation. It was incredible. And I really liked her work. Yeah. So there was a period of resistance where I think people and, and companies will experience this. Um, people in general need to realize that this is a tool to be used and to integrate. And if you don't fall in line, you will be left behind. That's right. number one. And now we, now we have, now we broke through that wall. We had to give them a lot of Udemy courses and bad courses, good courses and so on. And now we have artists and sound engineers really, you know, um, utilizing it. And there's still that, there's there's still a period of uh, adaptation where we're still redrawing things and so on. Soon, soon, I think the cost will be probably a fraction. We're talking about fractional 25 percent 20 percent of what the game used to cost yeah. um so yeah very good does, does that uh, lead down to um, i mean I- the industry has an issue to some extent i suppose where the, profili- the, the proliferation of massive amount of games that are being produced on a week-to-week month-to-month basis by so many studios does this uh, feed into that uh, proliferation of even more games now like uh say you know you can draw some comparisons to just general content production on the internet that um, through the use of GPT and APIs, you can automate content production and uh, produce an infinite amount of uh, articles. So in a world like that, how do affiliates uh, survive? Basically, when an infinite amount of affiliates can produce an infinite amount of content, how do you stand out in that? And and same for you and in the game sphere, like how do you how do you stand out in a world like that where we probably will see an an explosion on top of an explosion of new games? Like you will, but market dictates, man. It's the consumer's choice. So if you're going to give a consumer 50,000 copies of the same Book of Ra or Book of the Dead and so on, eventually they're going to spin a few spins and move away. It might be cheap production, and you might be spoiled for choice, but market solves itself. Like you already have uh, many casinos going, I, I want, like big casinos choose games which they're going to deploy or which, which ones not. Mm-hmm. So, so you have to build relationships with casino managers, you have to prove to them that your game is going to be sticky because a site has a limited amount of real estate on its homepage. And yeah, you can be pragmatic. You can. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Dave. Um, you can be pragmatic and you can completely flood the market with influences and game promotion and so on and just literally capitalize on that market. Absolutely. But, um, you know, you have that one once in a, 
once in a blue moon kind of stratospheric growth, most other companies compete for their market share on a very limited space of, of an operator page. And game copies are not going to fly. So yes, your production value has, has uh, cheapened and you are be able to produce cool graphics and, and cool sounds and um, produce assets easier. But ultimately, you still need to be original in your mechanics approach. You still need to be original in your dynamic. You need to be original in like what makes a player tick. Um, and yeah, I think we're going to see a flood. I think that will happen. And then we're going to see a culling and that will happen. And eventually it's just going to find its, yeah. find its space. Do you think there's a risk that it will become a race to the bottom? Um, where... For sure. But, but it always is. Like yeah. there's a race to the bottom, then there's a culling, right? Yeah. And then there's a race back to the top where, where AI is a tool set to, to originality. It's not a replacement of an original thought. Yeah. I'm, I'm certain of it though. It's, it's just very natural progression of things. Yeah. Speaking about the uh, industry, as we are uh, on this topic now, um, we talked about uh, the trend uh, that uh, is becoming more evident of the industry where uh, companies, uh, operators, uh, especially major traditional tier one operators are moving more towards regulated markets and um, they are looking to become kind of whiter than white, uh, mm -hmm. let's say. They, are, they prefer to, uh, to earn most of their, if not all of their revenue from, uh, from highly regulated uh, markets. Uh, whereas um, tier two and tier three operators and kind of the new wave of, uh, of crypto operators are moving more towards the, uh, uh, the gray and, uh, and the unregulated space. There's uh, like a polarization that is taking place and it's very difficult to find yourself in the middle it uh, seems to be that operators are seeking themselves to one strategy or the other. Mm -hmm. um, do you see that trend as well? And uh, what do you make of this? What, what will this lead to uh, down the line? Um, market controls, like the, the beauty of capitalism, right? Um, market dictates and consumer dictates. So there is a polarization and there is a movement of the market toward the black. Right, and we see this. We see this regularly. Um, you know, crypto casinos are on the rise. Unregulated casinos are on the rise, and players are choosing to play on unregulated casinos. They're not afraid. You know, before it used to be, don't play on uncertified casinos because what if you don't have your money? You know, yeah. what if they don't pay you? Today, I mean, look at the quality of the crypto casino product. Instant withdrawals, which actually, uh, ironically. So people say crypto casinos don't have as many costs as regulated casinos. I can't say with certainty that's true because with the speed of the withdrawal processing and the, the whole point of, you know, uh, blockchain based transactional mechanisms in and out without, you know, um, SEPA withdrawal checks and so on, there is an accumulated percentage of money that leaks to fraud which crypto casinos have to account for as business cost expense. And you can swap that out with tax, yeah. you know, it's like it's their version of tax. So if, if you look at the quality of product, you have fast deposits, fast withdrawals. Um, you, you have, uh, as, as, as that affiliate guy on the article said, you know, better bonus offers, affiliates are treated better, just generally better ecosystem and players feel safe. So why are they gravitating to these unlicensed casinos who obviously have a equal, if not superior product? 
there would be there should be no reason to right like think about it human being is lazy in nature right so you know what would force you to figure out what usdt is versus usd or versus euro and what bitcoin is or ethereum and then go and open a wallet and then connect a wallet and figure out how to connect the wallet to this thing yeah. it's not right you know and you, you can say oh it's money laundering and it's all criminal Wait, most players are not criminals like it, it's it's just not you know um they they lose money against the game it's not p2p gambling where i transfer money to you uh, you know and, and there's some sort of transactional un unregulated transactional process i'm sure there's a part of that but ultimately if we talk about casino games it's against the house you know so so what would make players gravitate toward a more complex solution they have to become accustomed to and and the reality of it is that their solution and the regulators enforcing the solution in the regulated market isn't listening to the market itself it's like trying to protect people from themselves and to some extent that's healthy but to another extent nobody wants a big brother in their home like no nobody wants that uh, and 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 uh, if players do choose to play slots or play live games and so on at a certain speed at a certain bet size um within, within reason so i'm not saying that there is no space for responsible gambling regulation that's not what i'm saying but if if regulation like in germany is saying i think it was germany right or possibly colombia spain um, that a, a slot spin has to last five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> you know. What are your options? Yeah. What are your options? Yeah. Like I, I, you know, I'm not going to experience this. To the, you know, it's it's against the product value itself. So so it's, it's it doesn't fit the product. I might as well ban it, right? So so then the market is going to gravitate to to to. The, the customer is going to gravitate to the market that offers them the product that serves their purpose. So, so, so if we, if we take a look at what the regulators, EU specifically, I'm not talking about American regulators, exactly. e, EU regulators in specific, what they're doing, we're talking about un, uh, unknowledgeable, unknowledgeable. I think that's about um, ignorant. Ignorant. <laughs> <Sorry>. ignorant. <laughs> I wanted to like not be rude. We're talking about ignorant career politicians, administrators, you know, middle management, government workers, creating policies and reactions that are not there to serve the consumer. They are there to create an image of protection for the general population. So you look at UKGC, and that's a that that's a regulatory failure in every possible aspect of fairness of the market or or or, or fair market approach they, they have create created duopolies and monopolies in the market by maybe that was by design maybe that was by literally corrupt lobbying i'm not saying quentin and whoever i'm not saying you done, done that but maybe lobbying was done by design to remove the competitive advantage of smaller and medium businesses and leave a couple of giants monopolizing the uk market and what do you get you get these enormous almost irrational fines fear-mongering of operators where operators are saying it's just not worth going into uk i'm, I'm not gonna get fined five million euros for misplacing a letter on an advert you know and and you have these overzealous player protection mechanisms that don't really serve the player right but they create this image of of this is how we're protecting you for this general audience 
and uh, and this is how much we raised in taxes and this is how much we got from the gambling thing and we're going to get that into pay that into schools it's it's showmanship it's a stage it's a political stage and unfortunately at eu level our governments are have aged enough and are bureaucratic enough for that stage to really proliferate and ultimately there was a detachment of end consumer from from their product uh, and overregulation has pushed the consumer into into a, a gray zone um, which shouldn't be as easy to 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 get into um, or it shouldn't grow as fast as it's growing and we're seeing revenues increasing on on casinos that uh, that do have licenses and so on but they allow crypto payments and so on and you have financial times expose on stake.com um uh, on it came out on eddie who's a brilliant mind by the way i think eddie's like 27 28 years old the guy the guy's a genius absolute genius uh, eddie, eddie craven is the yeah. founder of stake basically yeah yeah thank you for clarification sake yes. um so financial time did, did an expose on, on them and and they interviewed one of the stake uh, employees and they were like we we're seeing people gambling uh you know bitcoin gambling so so, so there's there's allowance of these vips to experience gambling the way they want to experience it without having to justify whether they can afford, afford the bitcoin or whether they can afford this and uh, again I'm not saying, pay slips, uh, yeah again i'm not saying that there's no space for that but to the level of source of funds uh, and so on are, are demanded now and the kyc is demanded now uh, it just makes people uncomfortable that they have a big brother in their house so deeply so it moves to a gray and we've seen that momentum and obviously as a supplier of the industry you follow the customer mm. you're going to follow the customer so market dictates its momentum and you don't see that in the us bedrock of capitalism but why do you think uh, why do you think that is that we're seeing uh, over regulation specifically in europe Whereas uh, in the U.S., uh, the uh, regulators in the individual states seems to have taken a much more kind of reasonable approach to. It's, it's to a very simple operate. example. I mean, if you think logic it out, a it's a bedrock of capitalism. Money speaks, which it's 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 what the U.S. was founded on. <laughs> it was founded on two things: freedom for pursuit of happiness. <laughs> Right? <laughs> personal freedoms and market dictates market dictates motion so the players get to dictate what they want to do and what they want to play and there is a cultural aversion to big brother influence so if you look at the consumer culture they grew up with vegas and and uh, niga and the native american uh, gaming association um for the for the for the for the central for the belt how do you call it um, central america not central america but you know central us midwest midwest um and and then you have your vegas um for californians and you have your atlantic city i think is for for east, east yeah. coast yeah new york new york. york so you you had these gambling hubs and if if people want to gamble they travel to these designated areas and it's, it's part of the culture um and i'm free to do what the fuck i want to do right 
um, and you can't take that away from me. So there is this 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 culture infrastructure of leave me my freedoms to me to decide what's best for me. And then, of course, there's a massive lobbying uh, uh, system in play where lobbies dictate um, how the market should be regulated, which, you know, if we're talking about big pharma, I'm really against that. But <laughs> but in, in some industries, it's it's sensible to, to, to have that healthy approach. We don't have that in Europe. We have career politicians that decide on things that they don't know much about. Um, yeah. yeah so, so I think that's that's that is uh, the moment. And, and to summarize, you know, the American Gaming Association in North America is a very powerful political lobbying organization mm. and, uh, and and lobby group. And um, you know, in the um, in the um, in the two thousands, the American Gaming Association was a land based only organization. Mm -hmm with um, Sheldon Addison, who was the founder of uh, Sands, uh, you know, uh, God uh, rest his soul, uh, he, uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, but uh, Sheldon Addison was this like highly political and uh, uh, polarized figure who was the, uh, the biggest individual donor to Donald Trump. Uh, and this is the, the founder of Sands, right? And um, mm. in, the, in the heart of AGA in the 2000s um, was Sheldon Addison and uh, and some of the others uh, founders uh, of, of major casinos in Vegas, uh, who were lobbying uh, against the um, proliferation of online gambling, and in that in the 2000s it was targeting online poker specifically. And I don't know if you remember, was it 2008 mm -hmm. um, that uh, UEGA uh, happened, which was basically 2006. It was basically. Sheldon Addison and American Gaming Association's lobby push to ban uh, any form of online gambling at that time. So from one night to the other, uh, what happened was uh, at that time that uh, online gambling operations uh, ceased to become legal. What they did is uh, they made it illegal for banks to to um, to allow transfers of money mm -hmm. into online casinos. At that time, so, there was no Bitcoin, so, and so they could pinch pinch casino owners owners of money laundering, which is a yeah, lot exactly a lot more, um, more heavier, severe. yeah, yeah more, much more severe. severe yeah. So what happened at that time, 2008, is um, many of the uh, established poker sites they closed. Uh, the U.S. market, hmm. except for Full Tilt, uh, Absolute Poker, Bowdog, Bowdog, and a couple of others mm -hmm. that uh, basically defied this law and and, uh, mm -hmm. and decided we're gonna operate in the U.S. anyway. Yeah. Right, the volumes was were just huge uh, yeah. at that time. So Poker Stars, for example, they pulled from the U.S. market uh, mm -hmm. when Irega happened mm -hmm. um, and continued to and po uh, Party Poker uh, mm -hmm. and. Um, the result of this, obviously, is that a lot of players, they migrated into Full Tilt, for example, mm -hmm. that then continued to operate uh, uh, the US, and that's where the fish was, so that's where the players migrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Party Poker lost their status forever as one of the leading uh, poker networks at that time. Yeah. I think now they've been in an upturn again, but uh, for many, yeah. many years, Party Poker became quite irrelevant. Uh, yeah, they on, lost the liquidity. Based on Eureka. Mm -hmm. um, you know, lo and behold, a couple of years later, uh, you don't want to go behind the back of the U.S. government. The hammer is going to come down. And, and uh, yeah. 2012, uh, there was the day known as the Black Friday, where uh, players visited Full Tilt, Absolute Poker, uh, other uh, operators, and they were met with an FBI 
has well, ceased the server's yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. page, not able to access their player accounts, not able to access their funds, um, yeah, yeah. so on and so forth. Uh, the point being here is that um, there is so strong lobbying efforts in the US that is led by the American Gaming Association. Uh, so later on, of course, uh, through the pandemic and after the repeal of PASPA in 2018, mm -hmm. um, uh, after the uh, after the death of Sheldon Addison, uh, the American Gaming Association uh, did a 180 turn and uh, accepted online gambling and, and kind of led the within their with, within their financial structure, though. Uh, yeah. You you look at the amount of influence and partnerships. Uh, I think and yeah. uh, partnered up with MGM. Did it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, you have huge amounts of land-based. So, so, so what? What? Am I, I, I like my. I, 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 it became inevitable. Love, love, hate relationship yeah. between me and America. Yeah. Um, and especially after Sheldon yeah. Addison's, uh, because he was the big. Uh, opponent to yeah. uh, online. He saw online yeah. as a threat. Yeah. He wants to keep the status quo and uh, don't take any risk, uh, keep doing what we're doing and yeah. keep uh, gambling uh, to the land-based uh, sector. But something interesting came but out can't of UAGAM. fight progress. Uh -huh. uh, yeah. Something really interesting came out of UAGAM because when that ban happened, the um, fantasy sports sector, mm -hmm. who also have a lobbying organization behind them, they wanted to make sure that their industry was safeguarded from uh, the ban of online gambling. Mm -hmm. They argued that fantasy sports is a skill-based skill uh, activity, and um, which, uh, which it is uh, as well, uh, fantasy sports. Uh, and so they wanted to make sure that in this bill, it's clarified that fantasy sports is, is excluded yeah. from uh, this ban that is related to it. So in, in the UEGA, uh, in the UGA law, so that point, it specifically says that fantasy sports is uh, excluded from uh, this ban. Mm -hmm. What happens? Um, <laughs> like people are brilliant, you know. So, so founder of FanDuel, he realized that uh, there's a loophole here to be explored. Uh, and uh, the birth of daily fantasy sports, which is essentially sports betting. Yeah. It's identical to sports yes, betting. It's yes. sports betting tournaments that we're yes, talking about. Yes, literally. You are putting together and drafting your team, placing bets on it. You enter a tournament and then you watch the game and hoping that your team will win. It is gambling <laughs> sports betting. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, that became a loophole that came from Juega. And the player, many of the uh, pro former professional uh, poker players migrated into becoming professional um, daily fantasy sports uh, players, yeah. Yeah, which then led to this huge wave of, of uh, FanDuel and DraftKings uh, just Growth. pumping in money into mm -hmm. the market, building the databases, uh, building the uh, uh, ecosystem around daily fantasy sports, uh, which they then eventually used to... Uh, uh, to convert those players into into the online uh, environment. So, actually, Jason, Jason Robbins um, has very much uh, Sheldon Addison uh, to thank uh, for his uh, online gambling imperium, for, yeah, for uh, his, which for was his, yeah, the spirit growth. <laughs> which was not the intended uh, cause mm. for uh, for this uh, initial thing. Hey, <laughs> opp opportunistic behavior, opportun opportunism uh, pays. You know, yeah, yeah. seeing seeing opportunity, capitalizing on it, moving fast. Yep. Those are traits of success, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, hats off to him. So, so you know, now we've kind of, it feels like the industry has gone full circle in a sense where, mm. you know, the biggest casinos in the world today online mm. are crypto casinos. You could uh, probably argue, you could argue that. that yeah. Yes, 
the one expects the uh, the stakes. You could, uh, yeah, you could you could well. argue that that monthly take of crypto casinos uh, yeah. surpasses regulated business conglomerates. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you right. could argue that. So, where will all this lead? Like, like, is there like where will all this lead? It feels like we are back in two thousand. I, 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 I honestly, I really don't see a clean exit here. Oh. I, I, I can't because crypto this. can't be regulated as such. Uh, it will know, be you, though. Uh, I mean, uh, you can no, no. you so, can create friction, but players has already proven that they are willing to uh, to yeah. learn how to navigate the friction, right? Because it's as you pointed out earlier, how how do you learn how to you know plug in a MetaMask mm -hmm. uh, and deposit yeah. money yeah. and go through all these hoops and and, yeah. and so on, and people are willing to do it. I mean, look. Once you're in the ecosystem, so you have to, you have two things that are happening. First of all, the the, the um, baby boomers are dying off. Fact. So so the 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 age group of um, wealth, even though 65 year plus still hold 50 percent of the world wealth and all of that, um, th there's there's a movement of more tech savvy people that are now in their millennials and in their 40s, man, for Christ's sake, you know. Yeah. 30s and 40s um, and and that's only going to move forward uh, move more in that direction so you're gonna have tech savvy pe people that are the primary earners number one two um, th that that gives them easy access to crypto or any new technology they need to use to do what they want to do um, secondly um, you have this deafness toward what 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 the customer is looking for at least on the eu stage um which is causing this disparagement because keep keep in mind something that that uh, I, w I want to add to as you were saying um um gambling in us grew um but it grew through partnerships with European online-based businesses. So what American companies did is they took the experience of Europe. Okay, you've been doing this for 15 years. Come partner up with us and so on. We're going to use your knowledge and we're going to deliver that product to our market uh, under our terms. Um, I also question how much of the regulatory behavior like the, the culture the, the the regulated market culture how much of that is going to carry over on anti-money laundering kyc source of funds and so on in the u.s market um, but i guess what i'm getting at is that the operators regulated operators are moving away through the force of regulation from what the end consumer needs and i don't see us reversing that so so uh, if, if you if you were to create a project now and say okay let's let's make eu market right so rather than o opening new markets let's take a look at the market that kind of grew over the last 15 years how would you make it really appealing to the player again you know the germany the netherlands the sweden the norway the, 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 the all of the local markets uk well, you'd need a really powerful lobbying entity made up of all the operators that are going to negotiate with each state, each government individually. And we don't have such a strong federal system like the U.S. does, uh, where if you have federal support, it's easy to open up individual states. Right. We don't have that. We're, we're EU is completely different structured. And we don't also have these power, powerful lobbying 
um, bodies that are able to influence individual markets because the markets are individual. So, so you can't repeat the success or quasi-success of U.S. on the European market. You are going to have this huge, huge bias market moving toward crypto, and you're gonna. What I see is you're going to have a larger and larger divide. So the question is now, how dystopian do I want my predictions to go? Because if I look at Turkey as a market that didn't manage to ban, the, so they, they banned the banks transferring, then they banned the, the obviously they banned the companies, then they banned the banks, uh, not, not allowing the 795 code for gambling to pro be processed. And then, then they banned the IPs. And then they eventually they were announcing to the Turkish players that if you are caught gambling online, you will um, go to prison, get arrested, or, or have some criminal proceedings. So the next step, and I'm not saying that's going to happen, because I think you, like that has to be really dystopian to go that way. But if you can't stop players gambling um, through the means of blocking supply, and through the means of blocking transfers, and and through the means of catching out these companies registered in Andorjan and registered here and there, you know, um, Bahamas and and, and and so on and so forth. Then your next natural step is to say, well, if you're gonna gamble, right? Um, that that's that's a, that's a criminal enterprise if you're gonna gamble on an, on an illegal site. Only state-owned or state-regulated sites are legal to gamble on. And I don't think we're going to go there, like by force, but may introduce, introduce as an ending of this, maybe ending, I don't know, we can go on forever, <laughs> but um, I introduce a, um, another element um, to, to our podcast and say, okay, if they can't force customers to choose regulated market gambling, then, um, and there's still a large amount of fiat transactions happening on crypto casinos as well. Keep that in mind. So it's not all crypto. There's a lot of fiat transactions, which technically are legal and so on and so forth, happening on, on, on crypto casinos. Then if EU, EU is going to introduce uh, the, the digital currency of the central bank, um, which in very broad strokes is government-owned Bitcoin, so there's a, I've sent you a link. You have to watch it. Yeah. Can, can I just digress for a second? <laughs> you, uh, somebody, please Google this. So there is the president of the Central Bank of Europe. Okay. On the 23rd of March, 2023, she was a victim of a prank call. Okay. Her name is Caroline. I forgot the surname. Hold on. Is it Van der Leyen? No, no, no. She's the, 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 the Ursula is the president of EU, but the president of the central bank, Christine Lagarde, Christine Lagarde. She's the president of the European Central Bank. Okay, she's like the like powerless for the Fed. Okay, so she gets scammed by these Ukrainian pranksters <laughs> who pretended to be Zelensky. <laughs> do you know this? Do you know, do you know no, this? No, oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! So they pretend they are Zelensky. So this they sounded. Man, I wish we could play this. So they sounded like Zelensky. Yeah. So you know how he speaks. If you cannot give us 
credit, g- give us money, give us credit, and we will pay back later. Right? <laughs> so, so this guy sounded exactly like Zelensky, and he c- somehow got Christine to call him up. <laughs> and they're talking about Russian sanctions, and he's calling her a really sexy little minx. And, and he didn't use those words, but he's like, I think you look very nice. Huh? You're a very pretty European lady. And so, <laughs> mate, and she's talking about Russian sanctions and embargo and so on. And about 15 minutes in, they ask her about CBDCs. Um, mate, you have to watch. I mean, the, the prank call is unbelievable. It's hilarious. I mean, it's very serious because they, the, yeah. they asked her very serious questions, which is quite good. Uh, it's hilarious that she's being pranked because it's not Zelensky. But they asked her about CBDCs, and the woman, point blank, thinking she's on a call with Zelensky, says a couple of scary things, you know, um, as a president of the European Central Bank, which is that we are rolling out the digital currency, that we are already, it's already illegal to spend more than a thousand euros in Europe in cash. And that effectively we want programmable money that then we can control and issue as currency that you use how we want to use it. And she's expecting a trillion uh, euros to be injected in the flow of the central uh, bank currency. Um, research, we don't have time. I, I, I wish I, 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 I sp- we had time for me to speak more about it because it's quite, quite a, as AI, it will change the landscape of our, mm. of our financial system for sure, yeah. or, of our social system. But effectively, our digital money that is currently backed by something becomes money on the blockchain, which allows the central bank to control <coughs> where you deposit it, how you deposit it, and how you spend it. So at that moment in time, you having a euro being deposited onto a certain domain is trackable and blockable. And, and you will have regulation influencing players simply by saying, okay, um, if you have a limit of X amount that you can spend on gambling, then it doesn't matter if it's Ladbrokes, Betfair, Paddy Power, or so on. All of these combined, I can see how much you spend on gambling and I can tell you how much. Can you afford it? Hmm. Let me see your taxes, right? So so I, I think that the situation is going to get worse, not better, because the natural next step when you can't uh, motivate people to do what you want is to force them to do what you want. And if you can't force them through fear of criminality and so on, uh, you can force them through control. And digital money gives the governments that kind of control. And you'll see more people moving toward what market dictates, which is I want to play and I, I don't want to tell you how much I'm going to spend playing or how much I won. I don't want to pay taxes on my winnings. Yeah. Ah, you won 50K? 35%, right? <laughs> so so you'll actually, I think that the divide will go deeper and I don't see how we turn back from that. It's just something to observe and watch. Let's close with a cliffhanger today. Okay. And uh, so what you're saying sounds quite dystopian and uh, we live in a society, I think in our lifetime, the only thing that we have experienced is um, moving towards a more liberal and free society. Mm-hmm. And so we take that somewhat for granted that um, the more we progress, the more things we mm-hmm. invent, the more things we learn, the more information is out there, uh, the more free and open our society will, will become. However, if we look at the arc of uh, the arcs of history, the if we zoom years. out uh, to, uh, we we think in ten-year perspectives mm. because we are just not old enough to yeah. zoom out further than that. But if we look at the world from 
a uh, hundred year perspective, this is where we see the rise and fall of empires. Mm-hmm. And um, Ray Dalio, who is the um, uh, who is uh, the biggest hedge fund manager in the world of uh, Bridgewater, biggest uh, hedge mm-hmm. fund in the world, he wrote a book uh, called uh, The Rise and Fall of Empires and the, the lessons that we can draw from this, because this is a re- repetitive pattern. Uh, we saw the rise and fall of the um, uh, of the Dutch Empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, that led into the British Empire mm-hmm. taking over, with the uh, with the British pound being the, cent, uh, the, the world's reserve currency. Uh, after the Second World War, uh, even though the British won the Second World War, uh, it hurt them so badly economically that the American Empire yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, took over, and uh, the Americans leveraged the Second World War in order to uh, to to establish the U.S. dollar as the uh, world's reserve currency. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time we see a shift in the world order, we see mm-hmm. a new world order uh, being Imagine. born. And this is the back, like this world order that we live under today, the American world order. Uh, we see uh, the whole financial system being basically uh, built upon this uh, upon upon this uh, world order, and we see the consequences of. Uh, the Second World War, World War, and the change in world order, uh, setting up a whole new financial system in the world, mm-hmm. and a whole new structure in the world, and a whole new power dynamic in the world, that then leads to a free, more open society, and so on. However, uh, Ray Dalio he makes the argument that we are at the end of the, yes. the American Empire, and uh, when empires are about to fall, it's uh, generally don't fall peaceful. Yeah. And um, in peaceful times, that is where we see uh, um, a push for an open society. You know, everyone is an individual. Pursue your happiness, pursue your freedom, make the most out of your life. Uh, However, when we go into more uncertain times, it becomes a lot more about the collective. And it becomes a lot more about uh, the country that you live in, preserving and Mm -hmm. protecting itself. Yeah, at, the ex- at the expense of people's freedoms. Yeah. So while we take for granted today that um, uh, we should be able to do whatever we want with our money, we should be able to own Bitcoin if we want, uh, we should be able yeah, to right. uh, uh, own currency and whatever shape or form we want and transact as one. In uncertain times, com- countries become more protective. They might not mm-hmm. allow you to even uh, own the cryptocurrencies uh, and so on. This is what uh, this is what countries do when when they are mm-hmm. the more uncertain times. To say Russia uh, are in war, it, it's very difficult for Russia to exchange the rubles for other currencies. Uh, right, mm-hmm. it's a typical war economy. Um, and uh, when we go into the future, if we go into more uncertain times, um, the launch of uh, CBDCs and uh, other means to keep the population together to control the to population in, in, into control. into focus uh, our society towards a common goal which is self uh, preservation in the might become the uh, uh, the, the actual norm. Um, uh, the norm yes and what the consequence so uh, again that feeds into your point then of uh, potentially it becomes more difficult to uh, thwart uh, regulation and so on in the future you've actually uh, you've you've really Something that I picked up on, you hit the nail on the head because one of the sentences you said is probably, you know, it won't be criminal to gamble. But you're right. In the case of in the case of extreme need for protection and yes. discipline and so on, you know, uh, the, the the rules of engagement change in war. Exactly. You know? Yes. It's and, what happens in, in war. Yeah. In 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 war economies, you are not allowed to hold gold, for example. Mm-hmm. 
you're only allowed to uh, to transact in in the in the country's currency mm-hmm. in order to keep the currency strong. That's you how know? Reagan got away with gold in the 60s. Yeah, yeah. He, he got he got away with gold in the 60s because people realized that there's not enough gold in the currency reserve, yeah. so there was a run on the bank. Yeah. And as a response to that, instead of running out of gold, they said uh, you are not allowed to yeah. now go so, to. So what I want to say, so I want to rephrase yeah. that. The reason why I put it there is because not just in the came, uh, cases of war, um, in 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 crisis. Yeah. In crisis, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. In governments crisis. will turn authoritarian, 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 authoritarian. Autocratic. Yes. Autocratic. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> right. And yeah. and and. Um, Asperger's. Thank you. <laughs> And in times of crisis, that will happen. And and it feels like we're getting there. Yes. I have I have a really funny side note I would okay. like to uh, explore. Yes. You know what's the telltale sign of a social collapse of of most societies throughout history? I, I'm, yeah. It might have been from the same book. I have to. Okay. I'm not sure. Sexual deviance. Yeah, yeah. Rise of sexual deviance. I'm not joking. So the whole LGBTQ movement and so on, which by all means is support. Um, is usually the the sign uh, the Roman Empire became very liberal, um, uh, sexual and so on, and and that was the throughout the empires somebody drew that parallel that that's the ultimate point of human freedom, yes, and the ultimate point of liberation, after which uh, societal collapse follows. Um, because we need to, as you say, you know, hard times make strong men, strong men make for good times, good times make for weak people, yes. weak men, uh, weak people and weak people make for bad times. Yeah. Um, and and uh, throughout the history, that was the pinnacle. And we kind of feels like we're there. I don't, I don't want to be too dystopian, too dark, but it kind of feels like we're there. Like we, we've yes. had every freedom we could possibly imagine. We forgot what it feels to be told no. Yes. Right. Everything's a yes. Yeah. And and it's kind of. Uh, the, I wonder what the next thing is going to look like. And the the dichotomy at play is uh, the more yeah, freedom right. we get, the more society is torn apart. Hmm. Because the more freedom, uh, the more individual freedom uh, people get, the uh, more they go they they go away from each other. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, the more polarized the society gets, and the less uni sum the society mm-hmm. gets. And and that eventually leads to friction, which uh, leads to a civil war, and uh, it's a restart of society. Yeah. And in hard times, we like the the idea is that um, we don't want people to have different opinions. We want people to pull to on the same rope. Pull the same rope, yeah. and that's all that matters. But is it individual freedom, or is it the rise of 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 uh, identity, group identity? Right, because you said we, we we increase individual freedoms, and what I've perceived is that individual freedoms of expression have been decreasing um, at with the rise of group identity. Like you have to be more liberal, let's say, or you you have to allow for more freedoms, and if you don't, then you're bad, and and that actually quite that creates that division. You said ironically that the dichotomy of individual freedoms increasing i think the dichotomy is that as we push for for freedoms and for an approach a certain point of view we create a separation in society that 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 chasm grows further 
Yeah, you can, I think you can see it. <laughs> We're gonna round up this conversation. This yeah. is typical you and me, Igor. But <laughs> but anyway, I think you can see it. Um, I mean, I'm, like I'm formulating the thought as I'm mm. speaking now, so this can, might come out wrong. But I think you can relate it to a natural evolution, mm. and um, you know. Uh, animals we we evolve uh, based on our circumstances and uh, you have um, wolves that become dogs and they and within the dog species there is there's uh, you know a thousand different type of of uh, of, of uh, dog uh, races you know and um, in language in the in the language that we speak you know if we look at a local level you i speak swedish but if i want to look at more local level i speak smolenska which is a dialect of swedish and uh, then you can zoom Smolenska. out and you can, and, and, I, and I, I speak Smolenska, I speak Swedish as the next step. The next step uh, beyond that is I speak uh, Germanian. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next step beyond that is I speak human yeah. language, uh, let's say. Vocalize, yeah. Yeah, and so like, so you see evolution taking place when you have uh, subgroups mm-hmm. uh, similar as well. So in a liberal society, uh, say that you are coming out of the Second World War, you have a population that is uh, very homogeneous, that yeah. is uh, following a certain Pull the uh, same trend. For a while. And if we if we then allow um, uh, individual freedom, and if we promote individual freedom, you will then see uh, uh, you, you will then see a divergence for this homogeneous group that will be uh, not that notable. Notable. Mm-hmm. It will be kind of like uh, small differences in political opinion, but at the end of the day, we can all agree. Yeah. Nothing. And, and, yeah. and eventually, you'll see uh, you'll see our thoughts and our opinions. Uh, evolving in different groups that are more and more uh, less and less that has less and less in common with each other just like in language eventually uh, you will get to a point where you don't understand the person uh, that is uh, next to you because you speak first you speak a different dialect but you all speak the same language but then eventually you speak a different uh, language and you kind of can understand Mm -hmm. the other person like I can kind of understand Danish people Mm -hmm. they can kind of understand me uh, um, yeah. And eventually you get to uh, a point where you just cannot understand each other. And similar in the um, uh, in, in our thoughts and where a moral compass is and so on. Eventually, um, if you if you let society uh, dict- like if you let individuals themselves dictate what their thoughts and moral compasses and so on without a central entity that is trying to keep things together. Eventually, it will lead to subgroups that are mm-hmm. so far apart that they speak a different language. Yes, and so um, that inevitably leads to conflict. Uh, and that's where the society gets torn apart, uh, right? And in times of war, uh, you that is the opposite of what you want. Uh, you need yeah. people to work towards a common goal because it's self-preservation. At you the can't afford division. Yeah, and here's the interesting thing. So even though, um, and we see this in Israel now, for example, mm-hmm. where before the uh, the terrorist uh, attack took place on October mm-hmm. 7th, uh, Israel was a highly divided uh, uh, country politically. A lot mm-hmm. of protests uh, against Netanyahu. Mm-hmm. Very, very, um, very, very divided society. And after the terrorist attack, uh, uh, Israel and its population has come together uh, in a much more um, self-preservation. Pro- self, so pre- com- yeah, that's purposes. a common, common enemy. Yes. Uh, Same thing uh, happened after 9/11 in the U.S., mm-hmm. where before 9/11, U.S. was highly divided, and um, 
as tragic as that uh, terrorist attack was on 9-11, it pulled the country together. If you look at the approval rates of uh, George Bush, Bush yeah, yeah. it went from 30% to like 90%, mm -hmm. right? We can't even imagine today in the US uh, either mm -hmm. a, a Republican or Democratic uh, president with a 90% approval rating unless the country is facing an existential Crisis. threat and, a, and, yeah. a, a, and something that pulls the country together again against a, towards a common goal. And that's the, in the, at the end of the day, uh, beyond the self-preservation, so we want to self-preserve uh, ourselves. So, so we can go on forever. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to end it on a question. Okay. Okay. So how much of that can be engineered to create um, a common enemy, a common crisis to, you know, Agenda 2030 of UN and so on, to create an environment where, let's say, powers that be would see the disparagement, would see the division in people, would see that they're, let's say, loss of control or, or maybe a, a bit too much freedoms or whichever. And, and, and we create, we create a system by which we need to, we have a reason to unify people and we have a reason to discipline them and tell them to pull on the same rope. I leave you with that thought um, because I'm not convinced that it's all, all, uh, that it's all a natural progression. I think that there is um, there is an undertone of design, uh, maybe not to the extent of you know like uh, conspiracy theorists, but there's an undertone of design and movement of society towards you know that um, crisis mode, so we can all come together and and, and get disciplined again. All right, yeah. that will be the homework for the class. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, we'll see you in the next uh, episode, the next class here. Igor, thank you so much for today. Well, Three hours later, it's fantastic. What a pleasure. <laughs> what a journey, my friend. <laughs> All right. J just for the record, we booked an hour and a half. Yeah. We had a very strict, we agreed <laughs> on a very strict yes. agenda. And we didn't so go through half. Oh, we didn't go through <laughs> All right, that leaves okay. a lot for the next one. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, buddy. Take care. <laughs> ciao, ciao. <laughs> Amazing.